So, welcome once again to the Coffee and Heroes podcast. We are number 99 this week. Uh, it's been a long time coming. We're approaching that magic three-digit 100 number. But prior to that, we're going to be kicking in with our review show. Anybody who's been listening to us for a while will know that we t- we prefer to do weekly reviews, but just it's a little bit challenging at the moment. So, we've had to revert to a monthly format for the moment. So, similar to last month, this is going to be a, a five favorite titles from the month of July. Uh, your host, as always, Alan. You'll be hearing my choices as well as the choices of Mr. Marvel, Keith Miller. Hello. How are you guys? We are wonderful. And also, Mr. Indy Roddy McCants. How are you, sir? Hey. How's it going? Yeah, pretty good. All good over here. Um, what about you guys? Yeah, 100% for us. You know, it's uh, it, it can be a little bit challenging doing these monthly ones. You know, we're, we always like to talk about these things when they're fresh in our heads and have a good discussion. You know, if, if only we could record our in-store discussions about titles, we wouldn't even have to do these podcasts. <laughs> uh, but no, we, we endeavor to bring you monthly content at the very least. So, We'll, we'll throw a few bits and pieces of news about, you know, it's 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 not been the best of times recently, it has to be said. Uh, there's been a few upheavals in the industry recently, certainly the direct comics industry, but also with a few different uh, entertainment uh, bits and pieces as well. I mean, the big news certainly this week that hit was regarding Warner Brothers, uh, parent company, well, I should say AT&T, who are the parent company of Warner Brothers, who are the parent company of DC. God, everybody owns something and somebody, don't they? You know, give it give it ten years, I guarantee you they'll be owned by Apple or Amazon or some other massive conglomerate. But until then, no, it was the news broke this week, unfortunately, that uh, there was a lot of layoffs in the uh, Warner Brothers Entertainment division. This affected the comic market as well. I understand there's been some reshuffling with regards to editors, with regards to different creative positions. I mean, the news first started coming out. I was looking at my. I always have a look at Twitter before I go to bed because, obviously, with the time differences of different creators in America and Australia and all sorts, you tend to get bits and pieces of news. And I saw a lot of people saying that you know their hearts go out to fellow DC employ um, employees, and you're thinking, oh God, what's happened this time? Last time this happened, it was when Diamonds and DC cut ties. But yeah, the, the mass layoffs and you know long-time editors who've been there. There were a couple of different guys who were responsible for shepherding in the DC Black Label who are gone. Jim Lee's position's been moved. Uh, that, the legendary Bob Horace, who has been through DC and Marvel, is out in his ear, I think. Yeah, it's, uh, the, the dust is still settling on this story, so we don't have certainly all the details just yet, but... You know, I did see Tom Taylor responded really well to it. You know, we obviously love chatting about him. He uh, he was saying that, first of all, saying like, you know, sympathy to everyone that this has happened to, et cetera, et cetera. But he then said a, a follow-up tweet saying, you know, for anyone predicting the death of comics, I have like the next five years worth of story up. Don't worry, guys, we're not going anywhere. So, you know, the comics industry has been through many, you know, peaks and drops over the years, there was the, the 90s implosion with the speculator market. There is a part of me worries that we're hitting another speculator crash as well at the moment. But that's a topic for another time. But, yeah, I mean, I I don't know what to think as a comic retailer. It's, it's obviously worrying when these sort of stories come out. But just as a base comic fan, it can be worrying as well. So, uh, you know, you guys I been mean, following up much? The thing about it, Alan, is, you know, for what years and years decades you know the comic industry has been allegedly on the way out has mm-hmm. been on its ear you know the same way as you know uh, 
a lot of the you know and and it, it's not the case it's not it's not the case i mean i think you know these things are as strong as strong as ever and i think it's whenever you see things like you know the, the speculator market which ended up you know lending towards the uh the, the bankruptcy of marvel in the 90s and that sort of thing you know i don't i don't know that we'll ever see that again especially because these companies are are owned and cradled by by massive evil conglomerates um you <laughs> is, know, there, that, is there any other kind well yeah yeah so but i think what made this just a wee bit more uh worrying maybe is you know that there have been layoffs all over warner but the cuts seem to be particularly deep and and the dc direct comics market you know what i mean and it was i think it was hard for a lot of people to look past that and not say do at&t put stock in comic books as a as a medium you know that i think that was the, the big problem mm-hmm. yeah i mean certainly one of the the key things seems to be the it seems to be the dissolving of DC Collectibles line, which is responsible for all the DC toys, the black and white figures, different action figures, DC icons, all that kind of stuff. And that's a move that I'm not overly surprised about, simply because DC have been outsourcing a lot of their uh, licenses to certainly McFarlane toys recently with their multiverse stuff. They outsource to people like Sideshow, like Hot Toys, Kotobayuka, um, Iron Prime Studios. So there's obviously a part of them that's thought, why should we spend the money you know, researching these, developing them, making them, paying people, marketing them, packaging them, sending them when we could just make an easy buck off, you know, licensing the properties. But but yeah, as you say, I mean, the, the worrying part is always when it comes down to that bottom line and, you know, they obviously want comics to be a viable, you know, profitable industry as well, you know. So if it was it came to the point where maybe they weren't profitable, that's, you know, maybe when we should worry. You know, I've always looked at the comics industry certainly as a vehicle for it's a it's a cheap way of keeping brands relevant and characters relevant and maybe before the movies come out or to merchandise them out, that kind of thing. But at its base level it's just an industry we all enjoy the hell out of, so we just want it to be as healthy as possible. So so yeah, DC it'll, it'll be curious to see how it comes over the following weeks because I was been massively pushing everybody coming into the store and Anybody who listens to the podcast or watches the YouTube or whatever, this DC fandom event that's coming up, and it looks really class, but now it's sort of like, yay, be happy, look at all the great stuff we have coming, just ignore those 8,000 job layoffs. Uh, yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, it's just come at the wrong time. Yeah, the, this is the thing, I mean, DC do love shooting themselves in the foot sometimes, it, it's really frustrating as a massive DC fan, but, you know... I suppose at the same time they didn't want to do this event and then a week later all the layoffs come and I don't know what that, is there ever any good time to to give out bad news I suppose and you, I mean you can't you can't blame DC for this this is a parent company's action you know oh absolutely uh, so they they they've clearly gone regardless of what's coming down the line with fandom I mean uh, yeah I don't know uh, I mean I know not just that I know another long-term sort of staple of the entertainment industry was uh, changed slightly this week. Something you'd noticed, Roddy? Yeah, so Disney have basically axed the 20th Century Fox label, which means a whole lot of classic films, maybe the most classic and iconic films, have that 20th Century Fox opening Uh, produced Uh by them. So it's... I think it, like it, it from a business perspective, it certainly makes sense. From a historical perspective, it's slightly upsetting for a lot of people, I'm sure, um, just to see that film history sort of just 
disregarded. And I think there's a certain element of skepticism to be had with the Disneyfication of everything and trying to have everything under this one sort of umbrella. That's quite scary. Like, certainly I do have my worries that everything is going to be, you know, 2030, is everything going to be Disney? That's kind of a little bit, they'll like have every property under the sun. Hey, they might even have DC the way it's going now, Alan. Steady there. (laughs) I mean, as as much as I would enjoy crossovers with Marvel, I think it would, I think you need competition in any industry, I think, to thrive. You know, the the joy of any industry is getting one up on your direct competitor. And I think if you have it all under one umbrella, that that just stifles creativity so absolutely absolutely and that's uh yeah totally agree with you that monopoly is just terrible for quality um you know but i mean there was there was a a persistent rumor that uh that back at that time in the 90s that i just mentioned you know where where marvel went bankrupt that it was dc that bailed them out yeah because they wanted that competition uh to continue yeah never uh, i don't know if that was ever substantiated but it's certainly a lovely story <laughs> you're welcome keith you know dc are directly responsible for keeping your precious marvel alive so well certainly as well wasn't it they um marvel also they gave out all their licenses yeah well that's mm-hmm. it they that's were also what helped them you know yeah, they so... were close to going bankrupt and then they sold spider-man rights to sony x-men you know by extension then x-force and deadpool and and so so forth on the 20th century Everybody, Fox. Yep. or should i say mm-hmm. 20th century no mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and sony and various all yeah it was all yep yeah so it's it's an interesting time in the sort of fandom we live in yeah i mean but by the same token you know in terms of good news within our fandom industry uh for anybody who doesn't know or you know follow us on social media and all the rest you know, we've always been big fans of Tom Taylor and his writing ability and his ability to craft a story and characters we care about. But he he showed his uh, very, very generous side recently. He actually took part in the Coffee and Heroes Fantasy Premier League, which is, uh, for the benefit of Keith, a sportball event, but for everyone else is a football event. And <laughs> it uh, you basically get to choose your own team throughout the season and you switch players and this and that. And then you get points accordingly. And we, we've done it the last couple of years. We've put up a prize for whoever finishes top of the league. And this year it was a £100 voucher for the store. And I made a bit of a joke to Tom Taylor at the very start of the season where I said, now, if you do win this, you have to come to the store and collect it. And he's like, yep, no problem. Little did he know we fixed the rest of the entire league so he would win. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we, we manipulated real world events, honestly. Uh <laughs> But yeah, he won, and then I, I sort of put up a wee sort of joking tweet saying, you know, oh, when are you going to come and collect it? And, and he very graciously got in touch with me. He DM'd me saying, look, obviously the way the world is right now, I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. I do really enjoy a single malt whiskey, so I will endeavor to get to, you know, Ireland at some point. But he basically said for his voucher just to split it up and anybody who had taken part in the league to basically give them a free comic. And in the last week or so, we've started handing those out to people. We came up with a little label to put on them saying, you know, bought for you by your friendly neighborhood fantasy Premier League champion. Just you know, little nod to that fantastic uh-huh. Spider-Man run he did. And, you know, he's he actually retweeted quite a few of them. And, you know, because people have been advertising that they got the 
got the titles and he was saying like you know this makes me really happy to see this going out into the world so so it was nice to see an actual happy funny you know joyful story in amongst all the uh the worry in the world at the moment i suppose but yeah just proving that he's just a, a good guy as well as uh mm. as well as a great creator um so yeah so that was a bit of good news but but we're going to sort of leave it there because we've got a lot to get through we again as i say we've we've chosen five titles each but even this month we can't stick to our own format we chose five titles each and then we picked an overall <laughs> winner which was different for the month uh <laughs> and there was one that just sort of yeah just sort of stood out there hard to hard to look past hard to look mm-hmm. past very um, much so. before Rules we are made on... to be broken before we skip on, Alan, uh, how are things in the store this this month? Uh, yeah, we're hundred percent. We've we've been nice and busy. We the website is obviously up and running. Uh, for anyone who hasn't had a chance to check it out yet, it's www.coffeeandheroes.com. You know, we we put all the podcasts on there, all the YouTube stuff. You know, there's an online store. Still adding titles to it, which might take me a while, but there's always new content going on there, and you know, some good articles and bits and pieces, and and other things coming soon. Uh, Vicky's been running the store really well. It's been very busy, as I say. Lots of good stuff coming out recently. Resurging graphic novel sales, which is nice to see. Uh, I think people are embracing the medium more and more. We we seem to be attracting new customers, which is great. Uh, the store, so the store's in really good health at the moment. It's it's pleasing to see. It used to be, you know, when you start a business, first of all, you don't know if it's going to work. But you know, even a year into it, it used to be Monday would be quiet, Tuesday would be quiet, Wednesday would be really busy, Thursday would be quiet, Friday would be okay, and Saturday would be busy. But we're actually seeing now, day on day, it's it's busy every day. You know, there's there's always regulars in there chatting, you know, catching up, all that good stuff. But you know, there's more and more people coming in every day, so we we can't complain. It's it's good stuff all around. Very nice. Um, so yeah, it's it's a very positive thing, and a lot of people are obviously taking our recommendations uh, to heart as well. We we do keep getting mentioned about the podcast and the YouTube stuff as well, and people seem to be digging that. So before we jumped into our picks of the month, you know, we <laughs> again we're breaking our own rules straight away, but <laughs> we thought it would be good to just sort of chat really quickly, and I mean really quickly, Keith. Uh, about three titles that came to an end this month. Now these were these are titles that we've been talking about since number one uh, of of all of them. One of them ran eighteen issues, and the other two were twelve issue maxi series. And I know Keith's reading all three. Uh, I know that Roddy has not read any of the three apart from trades. Ah, uh, well, yeah, trades of the, one of <laughs> one of the series, and I'm definitely picking up the trades of the other two. Well, this is the whole reason why, you know, the, these titles would have made, our, made their way into our picks of the month, I think. But we didn't want to go into details because the joy of any story sometimes is how it ends. Uh, and for me, these titles all ended really, really well and the trades are, are on the way soon. So it was the end of Middle West, uh, the great Scotty Young, Jorge Corona title, which ended at number 18, ended really satisfyingly. Fantastic story. Um, I mean, a story set in a... Nearly an an Oz-like version of 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 Middle America, um, you know the the Middle States, the, the Corn States, and uh, a, a tale tale about a, a father and, and son and and uh, abusive relationships, uh, maybe would that be fair to say? But a real real fantasy tone, a real uh, yeah. I mean, I can't. I've read all the eighteen issues. I cannot wait to read them again. 
Yeah, I think it'll read really well in one big go. And uh, again, obviously, we won't spoil anything at this point. But there is a point towards the end that, you know, I may have to speak to Keith privately. But uh, it was actually Vicky who mentioned it, saying there was something in it towards the end that really reminded her of the store. And when she told me that, it actually made a lot of sense. So yeah, I um, see what you mean. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. It, it ended really, really well. And then the other two were two DC titles that, you know, they were definitely in the lower end of our pull lists. It, it's almost like we're banging the drum for them and hopefully people will discover them when they hit trades. And they were kind of like nearly a brother and sister title, you know, yeah. whenever you think about the characters involved and the length of the, the maxi series, you know, and such. Yeah. And they, they both sort of came out of nowhere as well. And uh, so they're both set in the, the Superman world. And one was Lois Lane, which was written by Greg Rucka, another of our favorite writers uh, with art by Mike Perkins. And then you had Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen, which was written by Matt Fraction, Certainly his first DC work for a while. I'm not sure if he's written anything for DC before. I know he's more of a Marvel writer. That'd be fair. Yeah, I would say that would... I'd take that. And uh, and then art by Steve Lieber. And, and I still remember again, just to sort of spread a joyful story of the industry. Uh, and it's the reason Keith actually jumped on the title. Was that uh, the artist Steve Lieber. So after I'd read issue one, I put a tweet out saying, like, this is the best superman title that not enough people are reading and out of nowhere a couple days later steve lieber had actually sent us a postcard with a little sketch of jimmy olsen on it saying you know matt and i thank you so much for the support and keith you were in store when that arrived weren't yeah, you? yeah yeah it was yeah uh-huh. and then i think you basically went that's class and then went straight over <laughs> to the racks and lifted number one and went ah, he's got another seal then uh but yeah it was uh, no, it was two very different tones of books alan would you say very much so i mean it's uh superman's pal jim Olsen was almost like a variety <laughs> show or something you know it uh-huh. was it was telling maybe six different stories at once different tones a lot of comedy a lot of old-fashioned storytelling as well with what'll happen to our hero next and you know all this kind I of stuff that. it was uh you know that uh <laughs> a lot of that that background and and uh, word bubble stuff you know and, and narrative stuff was just mm-hmm. very much in the in the stan lee style you know the, yeah <laughs> it was very very cool uh but it, it told the story of of the uh the olsen family arriving at the site of what would you know become metropolis and uh meeting the the luthers you know and the uh the the familial uh rivalry that developed from that point uh, the founding of Metropolis by the by the Olsons and the and the Luthers, um, and then it, it it brings it right up to to modern day. You know, it really was a you know the fact that Jimmy Olsen is investigating apparently his own murder uh, was just you know fantastic. So that was a that was a really interesting uh, slapsticky nearly story. Yeah, and it was it was very much imbued as you say with with humor. Uh, but it had yep. possibly one of the single best last pages of any comic of the past year. Just this beautiful splash page, which well, we certainly wouldn't ruin, but just a beautiful, beautiful splash page. If it's not a uh, a print at some point, I'd be very surprised. But whereas that was sort of like almost a goofy comedy at times, uh, the other title, which was Lois Lane by Greg Rucka and Mike Perkins, as I say, it played more like a 70s paranoid conspiracy thriller. Uh, mm-hmm. with, with a few superhero elements thrown in but it was very much Lois at the center of this story you know uh, Batman popped into it an odd time Superman popped into it the question popped into it but this there's no doubt this was Lois's story and her strength of character throughout the whole thing and they're, they're both going to be released as 12 issue books and yeah I really can't really can't recommend them enough 
Yeah, I mean, Lois was great. It was it was really the the pursuit of truth. It was uh, a comment on on politics in America today as well. You know, and the 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 power and responsibility or irresponsibility of the media. Um, and yeah, the question, uh, Rennie Montoya mm-hmm. played out played a great role in it. There was uh, a wee bit of a a story around. Um, I guess the DC multiverse nearly in it, uh, you know, about, uh, multiversal, um, duplicates and different things. So, uh, but it was really, it was very much, it was very much real world. And the thing that joins the two together, you know, I guess back in the day, it was Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen and Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane, uh, you know, but where, where Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen definitely harkened back to that, you know, Superman's pal thing. This was very much not Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane, uh, or Superman's wife Lois Lane. It was it was a real hard bitten thriller. It was it was that character by herself. And the thing that that joined the two books together was that, despite the fact these are the two closest characters to Superman, Superman really had no influence in these two books. Mm-hmm. You know, it was Lois was going, I, you can't get involved in this. You, you that you have no place here. You cannot get involved. And Jimmy needed to keep Superman away from him. <laughs> so it was, you know, it was. So that I think that was the through line between. The, and it makes me wonder whether, whenever they started these two books, because you know, back in the day, these two books came as a pair. Uh, you know, whenever they were originally, it was a Lois Lane and a, and a Jimmy Olsen. You know, I wonder when they started these two books, did they deliberately go, "Okay, we're telling stories of these two characters that don't don't involve Superman." Yeah, that's you know? fair, and it's and it's an interesting point actually you make that they didn't call it. Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane, which is what they called the title back in the sixties and seventies. Uh-huh. But the whole Superman's pal thing is is sort of part of Jimmy Olsen's character, and also it it just has that aw shucks attitude as well. You know, yes, the whole, it does. Yeah. You know, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen. So yeah, two very <laughs> different books. I'm I'm delighted to say DC have seen sense in this one, and they're both being released as complete twelve issue maxi series. They're not being ah, released brilliant. as like. Brilliant. Six issue volume one, six issue volume two. So you get the whole kit and caboodle both times. And yeah, do, do you know what though? Um, we were talking about all the unfortunate layoffs. The um, whoever was responsible for that um, twelve issue maxi series idea was absolutely stunning. What DC have done with that sort of that format, length of book and format, mm-hmm. just it's been phenomenal. If you it probably came before Mr. Miracle, but it was Mr. Miracle really that took it to another level and then still continues to this day with Strange Adventures and then Rorschach coming as well. Martian Manhunter was fantastic in these two books. So also trace it right uh, back it's a really, to, really sad time. You could really trace it all the way back to Watchmen, I suppose, because that was probably the original 12 issue Maxi series. But yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. Certainly the through line of Mr. Miracle to Martian Manhunter to. Jimmy Olsen, Lois Lane, Strange Adventures, Rorschach. Yeah, it's it's continuing on well, and and I think it's a great a great length for a book because sometimes, you know, not to redirect it back round to bad news because you know Keith might start crying here, but you know they they recently cancelled Ghost Rider, and yeah, they cancelled Doctor it, Strange and Doctor Strange, yes, and and they cancelled Ghost Rider at a point where there was a massive cliffhanger, and you know it was to a point it was one of Marvel's stronger, darker books, and. You know, so you almost wish they would just say like, let's let's just call it six issues, or let's just call it twelve instead of calling it an ongoing. Then maybe it's not hitting the sales numbers that they want, and then it's just you know cancelled. 
you know, unceremoniously. So, and I mean, I don't know about about Doctor Strange, Surgeon Supreme. Uh, it's been cancelled as well. It's Mark Wade. You know what I mean? So Mark Wade is a draw. Uh, Doctor Strange, especially post movie, is a draw. The book, the story was fantastic. It is fantastic. Um, and it's not so much at a, at a at an easy leaving point, you know. But I mean, Ghost Rider was Ed Breeson, uh was doing a fantastic job of. I think Ed Breeson was clearly a fan of uh, of Howard Mackey's uh, 1990s run on the Ghost Rider and the Midnight Suns. Um, he had John Blaze in there. He had Danny Ketch, their brothers. Um, he was reintroducing uh, Michael Badalino as uh, Vengeance, apparently, uh, and he was he was pulling on the end of the of the the nineties Ghost Rider run, which had John Blaze as the King of Hell, and uh, and all of that. We had just introduced Danny Ketch, who had left his Ghost Rider uh, persona behind and was becoming the Spirit of Corruption, uh, and it was just that. So the cliffhanger they've left it on actually, it's a great place for for the next person who looks at Ghost Rider to pick up. You know, it really is, but still disappointing mm. because Ed Breeson was doing a fantastic job on it. Felt like Ghost Rider again. Yeah, it's it's uh, it is a shame. I mean, but again, that's that's to bring it back to it. That is the strength of the twelve issue format. You know, they're not. You know, hopefully, I'm you know touch wood here that they they're not going to prove me wrong anytime soon. But you know, if they announce something as twelve issues or as six issues, it does tend to finish, and therefore it's a good format to uh, to deal with. But but anyway, uh, we'll move away from that since we are breaking our rules here all over the place and you know talking about more titles than we should be. Yeah, we're talking about comics. It's all good. We're here to talk about... Fa- oh, Vicky <laughs> just said in the background, what a surprise. Uh, <laughs> but we are going to move on to our main picks of the month. So again, we, we broke it down into the month of July. So all of the titles we're chatting about came out in July. So please beware, spoilers will be aplenty here. Some of these titles have been out for three, four weeks at this point. So we are going to talk spoilers. So I suppose in a way that's why we put a little split there with Middle West, Lois Lane and, and Jimmy Olsen. We didn't want to spoil anything. But once again, from here on in, spoilers are a plenty. So yeah, we're going to kick things off with our uh, DC picks. We're going to break it down into DC, then Marvel and Indie. And then we're going to finish it off with our collaborative or our collective i should say favorite title of the month which is unanimous we all agreed yeah is unanimous Mm -hmm. (laughs) so you have to listen to the end guys is it dc so instantly is it a dc title is it an indie title or is it a marvel title listen listen on dear listener um what are your stats this month alan uh when it comes to stats once again i was in the 80s uh i believe as ever i have dc as my main one so sorry i take that back it was 92 this month uh that was 40 dc i had 22 marvel i think my marvel number was maybe a little lower because i've been collecting the main empire series but i haven't I haven't lifted one crossover or one tie-in. Uh, so that might be why that's a little lower. So obviously Marvel have a lot of stock in Empire at the moment. And then I have... Some great stuff. And then I have great tie-ins. 30 indie to finish with there. So uh, how about you, Keith, since you've got some numbers for me? Uh, 80 titles in total for July. Um, nice round number. Uh, 20 DC, 35 Marvel, and 25 indie. And how about you, Roddy? Go on, give us your numbers. I'm a hard man to please. I don't give my I don't give out my digits, you know, just to anyone here. You have to at least Not buy you stat- you have to at least buy you dinner first before you'll give up your number. Not a statistician. Um, I think it I think it was roughly verging on like 
30, 40, maybe, I don't know, probably a lot of indie, a couple of Marvel in there. I think maybe, was there only one DC with Suicide Squad? Uh, regardless. And maybe, maybe Daphne Byrne as well. So regardless it, it was indie, numbers, indie. I'm quite sure it was all quality, Roddy. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I say, we'll start off with that DC. So as I'm sure you probably will be mostly silent during this part. Uh, we had four titles between me and Keith that we had picked out. Uh, unsurprisingly, well, actually, surprisingly, it's an even split. Two from me, two from Keith. So uh, we're going to start off pretty much in the Bat universe, and it's going to be Keith to kick us off with his first pick from July, which is a series I know he talks about a lot and a series that I am going to have to read at some point because it just sounds great every time you chat about it. Yeah, so, I mean, this is this is interesting. I have... I have chatted about Batman Beyond uh, a fair bit um, over the past uh, the past ninety nine uh, episodes or so, um, whatever we've done, and uh, but I've never made it a pick. I've never made it a pick. Oh really? Um, so yeah, yeah, it's always been an honourable mention. Um, I don't know. It's just Batman Beyond uh, is the best DC book that not enough people are reading. Um, it it really is a, a fantastic a fantastic book. Um, Writer is Dan Jurgens, uh, well-known uh, industry legend, responsible for the death of Superman, creating characters such as Doomsday and Hank Henshaw and Booster Gold, uh, Action Comics, uh, Captain America, Sensational Spider-Man, wrote Thor for years. Uh, Paul Pelletier, um, his most recent work was on Marvel's War of the Kings and Fall of the Hulk, which was sort of uh, mid, mid sort of 2010, 2014-2015. He's also been Penciler and Aquaman and, and Batgirl and Green Lantern and a whole lot of whole lot of different bits and pieces. Um, so, I mean, his, his pencils remind me uh, a little bit of um, Mark Bagley, which is never a bad thing. That is a compliment. Um, so, it certainly is. Uh, so, uh, Batman Beyond issue forty-five. Uh, it's the third part of a story called the Eradication Agenda. That uh, obviously Batman Beyond is set decades from now. Uh, Bruce Wayne is a, an old, uh, infirm though still equally effective man, um, and uh, Terry Terry McGinnis has stepped into the to the, the bat costume, which uh, is much more futuristic, has a lot more uh, bells and whistles a la sort of Iron Man um, than, than the previous bat costume did, you know. So Terry McGinnis has been at this for years, so he's not a he's not a wet behind the ears by any means, you know. But uh, this eradication agenda, is it's all about the, the League of Shadows, and it introduces the Batman Beyond version of the future version of Damian Wayne, who, as you know, is not a favorite character of mine generally but, but, is a, uh, but is a favorite character of mine yeah very true uh and we have damian wayne all grown up um he's been very much in his grandfather raz al ghul's shadow but uh not at the expense of his father bruce wayne um uh raz al ghul has has left the the, the league of shadows um and and damien's and damien's care damien's the boss uh but he has been overthrown and uh, Zero, who is uh, his second in command, has activated Ra's al Ghul's uh, plan to destroy humanity and repopulate it with, uh, you know, the the seed of the the League of Shadows. Effectively, you know, the, 
the League of Shadows has always been trying to, you know, destroy humanity or destroy civilization in order to, you know, that sort of thing. So uh, Damien has been overthrown and, of course, has run uh, and found himself in, in Gotham City looking for his his father. He's pursued by the League of Shadows, who are to, who, who Zero has convinced them that he's betrayed him. And um, just fantastic stuff. He's pursued by the League of Shadows into Gotham and, and uh, you know, Bruce sees him coming and sends out Batman to to try and defend him and they both get overpowered with the League of Shadows and then who appears but uh, Damien's dragon Goliath uh, it's fantastic stuff it really is it really is great great stuff um, this pulls on uh, this, this is sort of this this episode issue three I guess is the is the second act you know the, the villains revealed sort of thing and what's going to what's going to happen um, but it draws on a previous storyline in uh, Batman Beyond which was the Batwoman storyline whenever Terry McGuinness uh, had lost his memory, classic superhero trope, lost his memory, couldn't remember who he was, someone else had to fill the mantle, and it was a mysterious a mysterious female uh, who was revealed to be uh, none other than Dick Grayson's daughter. Dick Grayson is now the mayor of Gotham, and uh, and he uh, his daughter has, uh, you know, having learned from her father, has uh, had taken on the mantle of Batwoman. Um, so... That was another great story, but uh, in this, uh, Batwoman reappears now. Obviously, Terry has she had she had rescued Terry, you know, and 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 helped him restore his memory, but then had disappeared. Uh, Terry had taken back the costume, but uh, I guess uh, you know Damien and uh, and and Batman are are totally outmatched by the League of Shadows and who appears, but uh, but Batwoman in a brand new costume and uh, just lovely, lovely and a lovely nod. Uh, the Batman Beyond costume is this black costume with this red bat, you know, with red red trimmings. You know, she appears in this uh, costume that's much much the same, but with blue bat and blue trimmings. And uh, as soon as you look at it, you automatically go, "That looks like Nightwing's costume." So it turns out that uh, that Bruce, the old Bruce, elderly Bruce, had hoped that that Dick would would take over from where he left off and had designed a futuristic Nightwing costume. And that is now the the costume that the Batwoman has has altered and is wearing. So it's really it's really fantastic. It's just great uh, superhero action. Um, I love the world that they've designed. They've 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 it's been a long time coming. Obviously, obviously Batman Beyond, Batman of the Future, you know, kicked off as a as a cartoon series, a sequel to Batman the Animated Series, and you know has become a really strong comic over years and years and years. So this. Uh, really, since since Rebirth, I mean, there's been a couple of real standout titles: Batman, obviously by Tom King, uh, Flash by 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 Joshua Williamson, and uh, Batman Beyond by by Dan Jurgens would be right up there. As 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 I say, it's just that it's the the strongest DC bat title that, that very few people seem to be reading. Awesome, yeah, I might, I might look into it because the the cartoon shows like one of my all time favorites. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Like, obviously, maybe that's DC is my point where I don't really have much knowledge. So I might I might uh, jump on, maybe try and see if I can procure some graphic novels or something. Well done, are Keith. They are they yeah, they are indeed. Yeah, there's a, I think there's at least seven graphics so far. Most graphics tend to be sort of six issues, seven issues at a push. So the fact that this is up to 45, I would say, yeah, you're probably talking seven graphics or so at the moment. But uh, yeah, congratulations, Keith. You may have achieved the impossible. You may have got Roddy on to another DC title. 
<laughs> My pleasure. It's a Did good you one. See the Ronnie. ticker go from <laughs> one to two. If only this was a video recording as well as audio. Yeah. You know, I mean, Dan Jurgens is just. You know what I mean? The guy's got the guy's got chops. So I mean, it's, it's in good hands, and it's just a real good, real good story. You know. Yeah, Dan Jurgens is one of those old hands, and certainly in the DC world, and. Uh, you, you know, as you say, it's a safe pair of hands. But, yeah, I mean, Batman Beyond, for whatever reason, it has just always eluded me. And, you know, despite being a massive, massive fan of Batman the Animated Series, I've never watched Batman Beyond either. Uh, I need to really oh. pick it up. They ha- they recently released a good Blu-ray edition, so I really must pick it up and, and get watching yeah. through it. So maybe that That's, was uh, I was slow to yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a great... Uh... It's a great cartoon series. It was very much, you know, Batman. It was called Batman of the Future when it was released in in the UK, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, you know, Batman Beyond. Uh, just a, I say a great a great world, a great evolution of the of the DC universe. You know, um, well well worth it, and a lovely companion Blu-ray for the Batman animated series. Very much Blu-ray. so. Yeah, I must sure. I must must get on that. I have to say, and then I'll be borrowing Good. those uh, issues off you, Keith. So. You might, More have, than welcome. you might have to go home to the folks uh, where you've been stashing <laughs> them all this time and grab them. Uh, Can do. Uh, one ticket through all of Andy's Daredevil he lent me, of course, which I am about 10, 10 issues into now, so I'm getting there. No, but no. yeah, to bring it back around to DC, so yeah, that was Keith's first choice from the month of July. That was Batman Beyond number 45. And we may as well continue with Gotham City itself, and this is going to be my first pick of the month. There's been a lot of hype building towards and a lot of uh, setting up in James Tinian's run on Batman. Uh, he recently came off a arc called Their Dark Designs. And a lot of that seemed to be a concern with introducing his version of the Joker. And it was all leading to this uh, event called the Joker War. So this kicks off in Batman 95. So as I say, James Tinian on writing duties and Jorge Jimenez on art. Jorge Jimenez is already an artist I'm a big, big fan of. And he, I remember him putting out on Twitter when he was coming on to Batman, he was basically saying this was the opportunity of a lifetime and he wasn't going to let anyone down. And if this is anything to go by, that is uh, words he has lived up to. His his Batman is unbelievable. His 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 pencil, the way the way he draws Batman and the and the costume, the the musculature is just, you know, it's not that. Uh, it's not the the really overblown Frank Miller Batman, but he's just Batman looks the way I think Batman should. You know, he he's 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 trim, he's strong. He looks like he could move as fast as he needs to without being overlain with muscle. Yeah. Um. His his facial expressions, you know, which he doesn't have a lot to work with. He just has the he just has his his grimace and his mouth, you know, uh, to work with are are fantastic. Um. It's just as. His lines are so clean. The colors are fantastic. Uh, he draws a a really sinister, sinister Joker. Um, just fantastic. Just looks beautiful. And he's also got to play around with all these new characters too. Yeah, I mean, he mm. Tinian's obviously been busy creating some new characters through, but his Batman run, you know, we had the designer through their dark designs. Uh, we have Punchline, who seems to be the Joker's new uh, sidekick who is a character that's been pretty interesting so far. Uh, the Underbroker. Underbroker was another one, absolutely. Uh-huh. 
and then just getting slightly ahead of myself but there is a character he introduces in 96 called the clown hunter as well so so tinian's not afraid to take on the established sort of gotham order if you will he's happy to you know put his own spin on it and create his own characters and that's one of the strengths of this book you know it reminds me when snyder took over with the new 52 and jumped straight in with the court of isles you know tinian could have led with joker war but he decided to you know build to it slowly and for me it's been completely worth the wait it's the storyline so far i mean it has to a degree slight echoes of you know christopher nolan's movie the dark knight rises in which all of bruce's fortune is essentially taken off him by one of the villains you know it's uh the joker and with the help of punchline has stolen the Wayne fortune which also answers a long-standing question within comics of does the joker know who batman is you know he snyder certainly played around with it a little bit in his new 52 run but it's always been sort of set aside as the joker knows but he doesn't care but this is actually a storyline that is exploring the idea of he knows who batman is he knows he's bruce wayne he knows he has a fortune and all these wonderful toys at his disposal and what would happen if he was to take all that away from him so it's it's a perfect standpoint for the story as well because there's a lot of interesting stuff being done with batman's psyche with bruce's you know scarred psyche at the moment you know the loss of alfred um you know in in their dark designs he was shown to not be able to trust catwoman too much as well who obviously he's got exceptionally close to and essentially is married to at this point uh, the Joker, as well as taking over Wayne Enterprises, has also taken over Lucius Fox in one of sort of the creepiest sequences in Batman 95, which he seems to have all these little plugs and devices attached to his face. And he has that, you know, horrible, maniacal Joker smile on his face. He's trying to fight against it, but he has to give in to the toxins and so forth. But yeah, there's just loads of really good stuff in this first issue. You know, the Joker buys over the theater in Park Row, which was the the last movie theater that the Waynes went to with the young Bruce. You know, he really is intent on absolutely torturing Bruce Wayne and by extension Batman in this. And yeah, just wonderful, wonderful title. I mean, it's I've spoke about it before on here about how you know the the pull lists are growing and growing for Batman and. With this Joker War starting and again being a good jumping on point for people, we must have got about an extra 10 or 12 pulls for Batman. And it's now, I think it's our second highest pull. I think the only thing bigger than it's three Jokers uh, in the store. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's guys that are jumping on this in the store who had no interest in Batman before, you know, no interest in DC Comics before. And, you know, there were a couple of guys in the store actually today were saying, like, this is class. This is really great stuff. So... I'm loving what Tinian's doing so far. I have always been a fan of his. Really enjoyed his work in Detective Comics. He co-wrote uh, Talon with uh, Scott Snyder back in the New 52. He's doing great stuff, as we know, with Something is Killing the Children. Another great title coming up soon, Department of Truth. Or a great-looking title, I should say. So, yeah, I'm just digging all things Batman at the moment. The main title... You know, I was a slight skeptic, because I'm obviously quite the Tom Keane fan. But... Tinian's taken over it without skipping a beat, I think, and he's actually elevated in, in some places. Uh, Agreed. It, it's definitely more action oriented than you know Keynes. Keynes was always more psychological, I think. But there's uh, a nature nature of the story, I think, as well. Maybe the nature of the storyteller. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fair yeah. as well. But but yeah, Batman ninety five, big seller in the store, big hit with uh, with guys in the store, and a big hit with me. Uh, the other thing about it is as well. 
and and we've talked about this before quite a few times in the podcast about you know tie-ins to events and how critical are they and you know do you need to read them all do you need to just pick and choose whatever you enjoy with this i'm reading all the tie-ins because obviously i'm a batman fan so i'm, I'm going to give them all a go and that actually led to my second pick of this month which is a title that i don't think i've picked up an issue of since the new 52 uh, and that is batgirl uh this is batgirl oh. 47 now, the New 52 run was my last introduction to Barbara Gordon, and there was a great run with Gail Simone at the helm. She wrote, I think it was 35 issues of the New 52. It explored her relationship with her brother James. It explored you know, her guilt of having to hide who she was from her father. It, there were ser several serial killer storylines in there. It was a really interesting, slightly more grounded bat title, for lack of a better term. But... Batgirl 47, the reason I picked this up was twofold. One, as I say, it was with the, within the aforementioned Joker War, but also the front cover was Joker standing outside of Barbara's door with a, um, with a bouquet of flowers behind his back. And this was essentially being treated as a sequel to The Killing Joke. So for those who don't know, The Killing Joke is a very famous Batman story written by Alan Moore, uh, art by Brian Boland. And... It essentially led to Barbara being crippled. Uh, it was very controversial at the time. It, To be honest, it remains controversial to this day, but the Joker stages a home invasion in The Killing Joke in which he shoots Barbara uh, in the stomach. Uh, the bullet actually hits her in the spine, and she's left in a wheelchair. And that actually led to the formation of a great character in DC lore, which was Oracle. So Barbara was able to use her intelligence and smarts and her tactical brain to help Batman from sort of a command center. But in the New 52, what they did was they gave Barbara like this little microchip that could be fitted to her spine and it would allow her to walk again and to, you know, have complete movement and essentially retake the Batgirl uh, mantle. So this being a sequel to The Killing Joke, this was essentially the follow-up to the Joker shattering her and, you know, essentially destroying her as a person for a while before she came back up. And... At the start of this has Barbara coming back from a date from the previous issue and she's, you know, walking around her home and she's talking on the phone to someone and then there's all this really creepy artwork in the background. You can see a pair of eyes watching her, you can see the outline of a body, you can see a reflection in a in a teapot as she goes around the kitchen, you can see a shadow in the background. It's all really good mood stuff. And Barbara figures out that it's the Joker who is in her uh, in her apartment. And the Joker, he has this device that he's able to click. It's almost like an EMP, so like an electromagnetic pulse. And it basically shatters the microchip in her lower spine. And she's rendered unable to walk again. So it, it's all set up as a story where Barbara's helpless. And, you know, she's having all these flashbacks to what happened in Killing Joke. And how no one's around to help her and that kind of thing. But obviously by this point... In her life, she's much more capable. She doesn't panic under the pressure of what's happening. She's able to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Joker. You know, she says to him several times to go to hell and to not say her name and, you know, all this kind of stuff. But it actually leads to a really great ending of the issue where she's able to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Joker and turn around a lot of the stuff that he uses to psychologically torture people and use it back on him. Like she laughs at him, you know, his threats of violence. She, you know, he's like, shut up, stop laughing at me, all this kind of thing. You know, there's a great line here for the internal monologue where she says, what scares a man the most? 
a woman who laughs at him and it's just a really great book it's it's made me want to go back and read some of the the rebirth batgirl stuff i don't know if it'll live up to this definitely because you know this is tying into joker war but it's really really good stuff um i should say that the story is uh, being written i think it's cecil castellucci uh, let me just confirm that someone who worked on female furies which was another great book uh exploring the female characters in mr miracle and then it's an artist you might recognize keith uh robbie rodriguez oh yeah he was one of the mm-hmm. co-creators i believe of spider gwen would that be correct that's true yep so yeah he's the artist on this and then you know of course who's doing colors but you know the busiest colorist in the world jordy belair jordy belair is it <laughs> right on cue there you go so it was a really great example i think of being able to pick up a book that you know bones about the character you know a little bit of the history but you're not really up to date on what's happening and you're able to just jump right in and get something from it uh it, it ends on a really fun part as well where the joker and barbara are both you know exhausted and shattered from their battle they're both lying on the roof of her apartment and he actually sort of says to her you know haha you you're actually the best robin you know and she's sort of laughing with him it's uh yeah just a really really good book and and a worthy follow-up to you know alan moore's story you know we know how much he loves people following up his work um <laughs> but yeah, really, really impressed with it, I have to say. Uh, and a great example of, you know, Keith often talks about this, how tie-ins should give value to what you're reading. They shouldn't necessarily be essential, but they should, you know, give value and a little bit more depth to what you're reading. And that's that's what this definitely did for me. So, yeah, Backer 47, Cecil Castellucci awesome. and Robbie Rodriguez. Um, so we're going to finish off with one more DC then, and this is a pick again of Mr. Miller. So what have you got for us? Well, it's not very often we do it where we, uh, we pick something one month and pick much the same thing the next month, but I've done it this month and Roddy's done it this month. Um, tut, tut, tut. So, so do we not do it all the time when oh, it was weekly? Uh, well, maybe when <laughs> I think was, we try right? not to, but but yeah. uh, so last week, last month, uh, for for um, June, uh, I talked at length about uh, John Constantine Hellblazer number seven, which was the first of a two part story called Britannia Rules the Waves, and it really, it really hit me hard, like it really was uh, a story that I couldn't stop thinking about the first part. I was really looking forward to the second part, but looking forward to it with trepidation, as is the nature, I think, of this book. Um, Simon Spurrier has been shepherding this, uh, John, this Hellblazer book uh, since it started with, uh, you know, on the DC Black Label line uh, eight issues ago, and he's been doing a fantastic job. I mean, I'm not, as we're well aware, I'm not a fan of the, the large prestige format black label i'm all i'm not a, i'm not a fan really of the of the price that comes with it i guess um but uh there's a couple of black label titles that have been in published in non-prestige format that's uh the last god uh and uh john constantine hellblazer uh simon spurrier as i say is the writer aaron campbell is the penciler and the busiest colorist in the world <laughs> Jordi Belair and Colors. For a very, very different book, to say the least. Very much so. So, this issue concludes the Betrania Rules of Wave storyline, um, which started in the previous issue. So, it was a story of a, a down and out young fisherman who found a magic shell and summoned a mermaid and so forth. But if you put 
that aside, it's the story of an abusive relationship. Um, last issue, we had reached a stage where it didn't matter what Freddie the Fisherman did. The mermaid absolutely worshipped the ground he walked on. He could summon her with a shell. She was she was helping him, you know, with these increases catch, um, you know, because you know, as far as the the Nigel Farage clone on the screen had said, you know, oh, those bloody French, you know, overfishing or fishing in our waters. When in fact we know that the the whole reason that fish stocks have dropped is because we as a population have been overfishing. Um, but anyway, she was doting on him, totally blind to his flaws. She was blaming herself for not being able to see, not being able to find a fish. And no matter what level of nastiness he sank to, you know, she was completely, she didn't, she didn't see it, you know, not just because of the power that the shell had over her. The shell was given to Freddie by this older flat capped version of John Constantine that has been plaguing John since the start of this series and that's all come at their head as part of a larger story arc but the magic of this series so far is it's all been two and three issue stories uh it's it's, it's a really fantastic but yet building this overall story arc of of this older flat-capped man and his rivalry with john but anyway just whenever you thought you'd witnessed how bad this dude could get this how, how depraved this fisherman could get the reveal at the end of the last issue just really hit hard like it really and whenever she wasn't pulling in the bounty of fish that that he thought was his right you know and meanwhile he's you know she's totally in love with him and he's he's shagging these women outside the bar and all this sort of stuff and you know what he did was he turned on his mermaid lover and he starts cutting her up to sell on his fish stand which is just horrendous it's just that the the Aaron Campbell's um, pencils in line with Spicer's, you know, Spicer's stories just make this conglomeration of macabre horror that is absolutely right up John Constantine Street. It's just, I, I don't think I've seen Constantine written like this in years. You know what I mean? He's really found his beat with him. He's, he's a, he's just, to me, this is what Black Label is. It's those stories that are just, the nature of them is just too adult and too too horrific you know what i mean it's just this to me this is an 18 plus you know what i mean it's not just because of the feelings that it drags up in you you know but then the the other thing is that we're seeing everything from the mermaid's point of view she can't see wrong in this guy you know and he's you know she's magic and she keeps regenerating in her and he keeps cutting her up you know, to, to, to feed, and he's, he's selling it as monkfish to, to all the foodies and the, you know, the rich folk of London, you know, you're really seeing the dark side of the human psyche and the dark side of, of London and the, you know, the, 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 the artist and the colorist really, really put that out there. Uh, so of course, John arrives in the scene, John's been investigating as a result of his larger storyline and, uh, and John is up for a little bit of revenge. Uh, seeing what this guy has done and, and the, the mermaid is her life is coming to an end she is pregnant with this man's babies or him, him and her babies and uh it's just uh this uh, yeah john john deals out justice uh <laughs> definitely you know and uh it's a really it's a really satisfying end to a story um 
again, I just, I don't know, the whole thing just comes together. As I say, the Waste Barrier has been writing this as, as three and two and one issue uh, arcs that are part of a larger story. Um, you know, it's, yeah, this is just fantastic. Fantastic comics, fantastic Black Label would have been Vertigo, you know, um, fantastic John Constantine and just seeing the seedier side of things uh, it just wraps up wraps up perfectly um, and uh, the, the the ending of the story is is in line with the rest of it for sure <laughs> but uh, yeah this one this two-parter really God really really knocked me for sex I have to say definitely there's some some real uh, I don't know if you guys have read it have you well I know Roddy is waiting for trades Classic uh, trade winning. Simply because I know this, the earlier Hellblazer, <clears throat> uh, this current run can be a little tricky to ascertain, unfortunately. You know, I recently, despite owning a comic store, had to indulge in the black secondhand market and uh, find myself some copies as I gave up my copies for a customer. Mm-hmm. And I'm really looking forward to getting back into it because. As you say, I've been able to continue reading what has happened so far because they are, as you say, two-issue stories, three-issue stories, that kind of thing. And, you know, I remember specifically that issue. I think it might have been six, was it, that was set in the hospital that was just outrageously good. And I think you're right. I think this is the best Constantine's been since those glory Oof. Vertigo days. I mean, I'm I'm going to stick it out there and say... That- I mean, obviously, John Constantine is is, is a, a wizard. Strange calling John Constantine a wizard, isn't it? He's a, a magician. He's <laughs> maybe a, change it you know, to a warlock. You know, yeah. effing wizard. Maybe that. Would... He's uh, you know, so Spurrier can tell stories about anything really with John Constantine because of the magic edge. But what he's doing is all his stories are very very human. They're very focused on the, the evil that that man can do to man. You know, and they're very, very much grounded in, in a really seedy London and a, and a really dark human psyche and and a really grounded in reality. And I, I have to say, I think, I mean, I've said Batman Beyond is the best, probably the best DC comic that nobody's reading. I think Hellblazer may be not just the best DC comic, the best comic DC are producing, but maybe one of the best series of the year so far. It's really stunning stuff. Like, Wow. Them, them are big words. Mm, just yeah, pick it up, pick it up, Roddy. Yeah, I will. I will. First yep. trade is on its way to his box as soon as it arrives in. <laughs> and I hope a few more. I hope a few more folks in the shop that aren't picking it up. Yeah, I mean it's it's been doing well so far. To be honest, it's definitely the pull in our store in terms of the Sandman universe stuff, and. Mm. It's always interesting to note as well, it's something I haven't really talked about too much before, but it's always interesting to know people who jump on a title, give it a couple of issues, and are they going to maybe jump off it again? Hellblazers steadily went up. Not one person who started it has said, oh, take that off the pull list. The numbers have only gone up as it's gone on. I think that's a testament to the word of mouth and the, the critical reception and so forth. So... Yeah, I mean, we've I think we've a good fifteen or sixteen people on Hellblazer. It's been steadily, steadily growing, and you know that's that's good to see with any title that's quality, you know. So it certainly is. So yeah, that was Hellblazer number eight. That was Keith's second choice of the month. So our suspiciously silent third uh, third cohort here is finally going to get a chance to speak. Uh, <laughs> It's time now to move oh, on from the oh, me, is it? move on to stuff and on to our Marvel picks. So, 
Same again, there's a nice symmetry here. So it was four DC picks. We have between Roddy and Keith four Marvel picks. Uh, why don't you kick us off, Roddy, with uh, your first pick of the month? Yeah, I thought that would never end, all this DC talk. <laughs> <laughs> only kidding, only kidding. Um, yeah, so let's jump straight in there. This is Spider-Man Noir number two. It's been a long wait for this one. Um, basically, number one came out before the pandemic. And we finally have number two, written by Margaret Stoll. Artist is Juan Ferreira, who is absolutely fantastic. And then... VCs Travis Lanham is the letterer and also massive shout out to Dave Raposa who does the cover art and they are just phenomenal. This book is just, I think you know what you're getting when, when something says noir on the title and it very much fits all those sort of genre stereotypes, but it, <laughs> it fits in very nicely with Spider-Man because I think it's, there's been, there was two Spider-Man noir miniseries before this one. And this one is set in 1939. And the first issue sort of was surrounded. Um, there was a murder in the Black Cat nightclub, which Peter Parker, P.I., is investigating. He's also the masked vigilante known as the Spider-Man. And he sort of protects the New York City from mobsters and other kind of criminals. Um, this dead girl had a sort of mysterious uh, Sedata gemstone clutched in her hand when she died and then when Peter investigates this um, he finds the New York City Museum's creator Huma who is also this dead girl's sister um, before before he can even blink he is basically swept up and he boards a plane in the very last page of the first issue and we sort of pick up this. I really love this. There's just one panel at the start of it um, where it's the plane flying over. It's like a, on a mini map with London sort of in a star. Pure just Indiana like a, Jones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, it's just just a love letter to that kind of that kind of genre and it's it's a beautiful book and it, it's kind of funny because I've read it a couple of times now um, when I went back to it, it almost feels like this story is, I don't, I don't want to say secondary, but it's all, it's all about the art and it's all about, um, Peter, Peter's character really in the relationship between them, you know, they're almost the actual gemstone. It does pick up at the end, but I thought the actual search for the gemstone is the most, the really least interesting part of it. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, Ronnie. Did you notice, and it, it took me reading it again. Second time, did you notice that the the book is almost black and white? Yes, it's almost it's almost done like a, like a black by and, yeah. lovely lovely bits of color. Uh huh. Dif different from Sin City, but you definitely have uh, Huma's got a red scarf. Certainly, there's there's red backgrounds in part of it, and then there's the red of the sort of Nazi flags at the end at the Brandenburg Gate, which I really loved. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's, I uh, love. Oh, sorry, Keith. No, sorry. no, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I, Juan Ferreira is just phenomenal. This book is an absolute standout on what, what he's done. The look of Spider-Man, the look of the characters, and obviously being a sort of Indiana Jones-inspired comic, excuse me, it's it's globetrotting. It gets to show off all these wonderful locations, and this one 
Spider-Man and Huma travel to three separate locations, I believe. Mm-hmm. So you got London, bit of Sicily, and then Germany as well, and Berlin. So yeah, it's an utterly gorgeous book. What were you going to say, Keith? I think it's it's interesting because the, the, I mean the whole thing, uh, the the noir stuff, uh, whether it was X Men noir or or Iron Man noir, Daredevil, you know, it's all set on uh, Earth nine hundred two one four, which is an Earth where all the counterparts of our Earth six one six superhumans debuted in the twenties and the thirties, and in some cases they don't really. I mean, did you feel that Peter Parker in this bore a lot of resemblance to Peter Parker? Yeah, <laughs> you know the way you know it's the way he's talking, you know, and he's he's all confidence and swagger, and you know, yeah, I can't I can't help but think of him talking in terms of a, you know, a nineteen twenties or thirties. You see, yeah, I know. He's, he, at one point, he's knocking back the giggle just like that. Percep won't mind if I borrow his monkey suit. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just like what? <laughs> it's but, uh, it, but it's really it's really got that got that vibe to it. It's all about yeah. As you say, it's maybe a wee bit more style over substance. Was because uh, um, he when he's on the plane, he thinks he's going to be sick, and then he says something about being a dead pigeon. In a dead pigeon in a tin cage, and then he gets the name Pidgey. So, him <laughs> him being out of his depth is almost like a return to that that Peter Parker. Yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. And there's there's but, uh, there's a whole lot of wee nods as well. You know, the Black Cat Club, obviously, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a nod to the Black. You know, to, so there's nods to things in the Six One Six universe as well. And I think the the style of it is cool. You know, the fact that at one stage, you know, he he's in his uh, he's in his his tux, you know, with a white jacket. And then he has to pull on the, the 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 black Spider-Man mask and the goggles and go you know go yeah. chasing a thing. It's kind of stylish for the web, you know. And uh, yeah, very 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 cool, very cool indeed. Yeah. Yeah. To give you a wee overview of the story, basically in this one, um, in London, Huma very confidently just brings Peter to the Savoy, and she's looking to make a deal to sort of get them into Berlin to meet a museum curator there who may have information about this Sedata gemstone. And then that's sort of busted up by this this group of goons, basically, thugs, London thugs. And then there's a mad sort of chase scene across London. And then eventually Peter, Peter and Human make it to Sicily. And then that's when they basically end up in Berlin after that so it's yeah really I really loved it I love the style of it and I love um is it four or five issues I think it's is it five I think it's going to be five until yeah yeah I, I love I just love the design of it um the look of Spider-Man certainly just like a real favorite of mine just and it was one I was really looking forward to do you know do you know over lockdown I'm obviously there's more important things to worry about but when you're you know, that was one that was sort of like, oh, really, I really wish, you know, I could have seen where that one went. Yeah, I know exactly mm-hmm. what yeah, you mean. Yeah. It was it was a long wait for it, unfortunately. Uh, you know, it almost fell victim to the, the pandemic to a degree. Uh, I was just glad to see that it wasn't cancelled because my worry was that it might have mm. been one of those ones that went digital only, that kind of thing. But the first issue was so strong, I was really glad to see it return. I agree with you when you, you throw the word noir into a title, you know what you're going to get. It doesn't matter if Spider-Man's <laughs> before that word or, you know, Deadpool's before that word, you know what I mean? You're going to get internal monologues. You're going to get, you know, a sort of a dark view of the world. You're going to get femme fatales. You're going to get, you know, street lights and dimly lit alleyways and all this kind of stuff. So, 
Uh, as anyone who's listened to this before knows, I'm a massive fan of Juan Ferreira. I think his, his art style is superb and just really suits this. So, yeah, this is one I'm reading myself and uh, really enjoying as well. So, yeah, fantastic choice there, Roddy. That was Spider-Man Noir number two. Uh, why don't you continue the web-slinging love-in then, Keith, with your next pick? No problem at all. So... It's been long awaited, but Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man 45 uh, by, uh, well, Amazing Spider-Man 45 gets us into part one of the long awaited Sins Rising uh, storyline, the, the, the arc. Uh, and, you know, if you want to get me excited about a, a Spider-Man arc, there's, well, there's a couple of things you can do. First of all, what Nick Spencer, who has been the uh, the the writer on, on Amazing Spider-Man for, for the past 45 issues, He's he's done a really great job of shifting gears from the the colorful four color action Spidey to dark Spidey, um, and this is this is one thing that that makes me love this character. Now, I mean, with all due respect, Alan, you know, Batman is a dark character. Uh, it's hard to to do a light story with Batman. Would that be fair to say? There's a very easy way to do a light story with Batman, but it involves Dick Grayson being in the car yeah, and not well, Bruce Wayne. <laughs> okay. Um, so, however, there's that's the thing you can do with Spider-Man. You can shift gears just like that. You can have yeah. a, a, a yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Friendly, yeah, neighbor. But you can you can suddenly go dark, and I think Nick Spencer has done a fantastic job of going dark. You know, for for the start of Sins Rising, uh, and the other thing that you can do to get me really excited is put Mark Bagley in art. Always Mark a winner. Drawn Spider-Man. There Always a winner. Go. So we're getting into the Sins Rising storyline, and there's a wee bit of background that I'd recommend getting into before uh, you get into, and that is, I mean, you remember, you remember Hunted, uh, which was Nick Spencer's mm-hmm. storyline um, about the, you know, all those those different villains and such, and it really, it really heavily referenced. Um, it really heavily referenced uh, Craven's Last Craven's, Hunt, isn't it? Craven's Last Hunt, yeah. yeah. Uh, and definitely you'd have got a wee bit more out of it if you knew Craven's Last Hunt. Well, if if that's an end to go by, I would say it'd be well worth your while getting into Peter David's The Death of Gene DeWolf, which was a classic Spider-Man story that introduced the Sin Eater. Uh, so as I say, if that's anything like like Spider-Man Haunted, it'll be it'll be heavily referenced. That was in, uh, in the 80s. Um it was Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider-Man issue one hundred and seven to one hundred and ten, and I think there's a, I think there's probably a trade paperback as well, um, out there. But anyway, there's that, and then the villain behind all of this is the mysterious Kindred, who's been operating in the background throughout a lot of Nick Spencer's run on Spider-Man, uh, Amazing Spider-Man, and he sort of first appeared in issue 37 or, or certainly was revealed in issue 37 by Nick Spencer and Ryan Otley. So this is the the first issue. We've had a, a Sins Rising prelude uh, as well, but this is the first issue of, of Sins Rising proper. Uh, we've got a wee bit of a, a wee bit of a background on, uh, on a, a point of view character uh, who it turns out is uh, Spider-Man's ex-girlfriend, Carly Cooper who's an NYPD forensic, uh, you know, forensic scientist who had disappeared for a while. She became um, infected by the, the goblin serum and became Menace, I believe was the name of the character back in the day, uh, about 10 years ago, maybe. Um, she disappeared after that and uh, walked out of Peter's life. Recently, she's returned. She's uh, she's started off a friendship. It was a, 
a, a support group for people who found themselves on the on the pointy edge of collateral damage of superheroes and she struck up a friendship with Mary Jane Watson who was an ex of Peter's who's now current of Peter's again and it's bookended by her uh, at a you know in a morgue and she's just doing what looks like a an autopsy on a on a corpse we don't find out uh, who the corpse is we quickly shift to Peter's point of view and Peter is kind of you know these stories where things go dark always sort of seem to start fairly simply with Peter. Peter's been missing Mary Jane. She's flown off to be in the amazing Mary Jane. Uh, that, that that book all about her and, and her plans in Los Angeles, I think, whatever it was. Uh, but Peter's on his own. Before she left, he was going to ask her to marry him and all that sort of stuff. He's going through a date all by himself, sort of torturing himself. He's at a really low emotional ebb. He's feeling lonely, you know, and this is the perfect place to kick off a dark story uh, <laughs> you know, with uh, with Spider-Man. Whenever it always there. gets it always gets dark for Peter and Spider-Man. Never, never. Yeah, for one well, other, you know? yeah. Well, that's it. That, that's exactly <laughs> it. You know, that's whenever Stan introduced these heroes, that was the trick that made Marvel heroes different. Was that they were flawed? They they were heroes with with a human side. You know, with a you know, Peter was the the nerd. You know, was, you know, a down things never went well. But anyway, this it's just a, it's a fairly action packed story. Um, the last few issues have have had these wee backstories in them, involving nightmares that Peter's been having about uh, about villains. And this introduces Overdrive, who's been on the run. Overdrive's a character whose powers allow him to soup up cars, and he's been driving for days. He uh, he drives into the middle of this street, this block party. Spider Man's on the scene, on the car, saving kids. You know, in his own way, and then you know, he uh, he ends up overdrives very badly injured whenever the car crashes, and and uh, where does Peter go? But a but a dark abandoned construction site to to take him out of the way because it's becoming clear that uh, that Peter's been pursued by the senator who was a mass psychopath who murdered uh, Gene DeWolf, who was a cop um, and a, a confidant of of Spider Man's and a couple of other innocent people. A real gritty real world serial killer like murderer um and it was it was very very dark um the in the story the original story spider-man loses the plot and is ready to 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 kill the sin eater um who's uh, a guy named stan carter he's ready to beat him to death and it's daredevil that has to stop him from crossing the line which is actually kind of nice if you remember uh, Daredevil about three or four issues ago, Alan, mm-hmm. whenever Spider-Man had to stop Daredevil from crossing the line. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's just returning the favor. <laughs> um, so, yeah, just, you know, real action-packed art. You know, Spider-Man swears that he can't figure out where's the senator come from. Why is, he, why is he back? He's dead. He's supposed to be dead. You know, of course, there's a revolving door for death and, and that. And, and, and Peter's going, I can't. I can't I can't lose control. I can't go to that dark place. I can, you know, but but he can't help himself. You know what I mean? And as 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 Senator gets the better of him, Spider Man, you know, loses control and and all of that. He's he's trying to stop the Senator from killing Overdrive. And uh, you know, of course, where the story started, uh, book ended by uh, Carly Cooper ready to do an autopsy on the body. The story ends with finding out who the body is, um, and uh, Kindred's in there. Uh, we've got a bit of a shock ending. I don't know if Mark Bagley. I don't think Mark Bagley is drawing um, is drawing sins rising all the way through. I know. Uh, I think Marcelo Ferreira Ferreira is taking over in part two and three. 
and then Mark Bagley is back for part four and for the final part alongside Otley and Ramos. But the art's just lovely. The art's just lovely. You know, I'm really glad to see Mark Bagley back doing his thing. Um, and this is a really, really strong start to Sins Rising. I think it is only going to get darker. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, it's like the revolving door of artists can be a bit frustrating, but yeah. it is a it is a bi-monthly book, so you kind of have to give them that you know like i'm not i would love just like somebody consistent the whole way through but it can't happen but i mean if they're picking you know mark bagley they're picking the best of the best so oh yeah yeah that's okay um yeah come off life story on a lovely run at venom uh you know back an amazing spider-man can't can't complain you know yeah i'm i'm loving spider-man at the moment that I love how they just they can flick a switch and it's yeah yeah there's lighthearted then it's it's dark and then they've been laying the groundwork for this for so long yes yeah. and we I, I believe there's even maybe a bit of frustration we're like oh where so where's this going yeah there you was know, a lot like, of there seemed to be a lot of back and forth and human in hand and, yeah yeah but like uh, yeah but it's all worked yeah, out now it, it has kind of it's thing. come together and I, I nearly feel already like like all of those wee threads from previous mm-hmm. stories, you know, are, are sort of coming together and will come together. I know oh, that, definitely. you know, I don't feel like Kindred's identity and, and agenda is going to be revealed through Sins Rising. I think we're going to see Sins Rising, and I think after Sins Rising, we have Last Remains, uh, yeah. which we previewed uh, there in the October preview book. Um, so I think we're, there's, a long, there's a long game here, and I think things like, do you remember that wee weird story with... Um, with the 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 all female Sinister Six uh, that had Beetle in it, that is now dating uh, Peter's housemate. Oh yeah, you yeah. know, you know. So there's there's those wee stories have all flicked in, and I don't, I just don't know what's. But I'm really interested to see it reflected through this. Um, but yeah, I think you're exactly right. This is this is great, Spider Man. Did you read the prelude? I did indeed. Yes, mm-hmm. very good too. Yeah, very, very good. good. Very good. So it's uh, always yeah. I always kind of leave Spider-Man to the last on my pull list because I just know I just know it's going to be good. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's been been a staple in in our certainly our honourable mention, some of our reviews, and uh, and certainly a lot of our, our previews um, over the past few months. Really, really strong stuff, and it's great to see Spider-Man as the flagship character where he's supposed to be in Marvel. Mm-hmm. Well, if it, if it makes you gentlemen feel any better, Mark Bagley may not be doing the interior art for every single issue, but he is doing a variant for every single issue uh, during this Sin's rising storyline. So there's still a bit of Bagley love out there. So oh, just, yeah. Just in case. Good stuff. Okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting you say you leave it the last, Roddy. I, I always think it's worth mentioning, and it's always interesting to see people's different reading habits, but with my pull list, what I do is I look at the two titles I'm looking forward to most. One of them goes to the top. One of them goes to the bottom. So. Oh uh, right, okay. I, yeah. You know, it's it's interesting. We all have our own little uh, own little reading habits, mm-hmm. as I say. Uh, but yeah, so that's amazing. Spider-Man forty-five, which is continuing the Sins Rising storyline. Uh, I think we've got another choice up next again from you, Keith. This is actually Marvel's current uh, event, and it's one that I think. In the long term, now I, I'm only saying this from a point of view of I'm collecting it and I'm going to read it all in one go, but would it be fair to say that this is an event that has maybe benefited from the uh, the delay simply because it was originally going to be released, I believe, either fortnightly or monthly, 
and now it's being released weekly. We are, of yeah, course, talking yeah. about... We're talking about Empire. Um, so I'm, I'm not going to stick to the... I'm going to cheat a wee bit here, Alan. I hope you don't mind. Uh, I'm not going to stick to the one issue uh, <laughs> because there's no point. Um, I, I, I spoke a little bit last month about the prequels, the Fantastic Four and the Avengers, number the, zeros, which were, zeros, which were yeah, great. Yeah. Um, whenever you've got, a, whenever you've got a, a series written by Al Ewing and Dan Slott, um, you're you're doing okay. Um, you know these are these are Dan Slott as as a as an old hand. You know he's been been at uh, been at Spider Man for for so long. Fantastic Four now for for a couple of years. Uh, I know it was the stories by Al Ewing and Dan Slott. It was scripted by Al Ewing and the artist is uh, Valerio Shiti, uh, which the the art is just fantastic. But I mean, three issues in. Um, I'm loving this. I I think this is a fantastic series. It's just, it is back to the basics of what makes a really good uh, comic book crossover event. Um, I read a review of issue three uh, on Bleeding Cool. Says, can this issue yet save Marvel's worst event ever? What a lot of bollocks. You know, (laughs) (laughs) I don't mind. I don't mind telling you that they're absolutely wrong. Um, this is this is a, a fantastic, um, keep fantastic it, keep, event. Keep it clean, there, Miller. Come on, oh, it's keep it clean. It's absolutely clean. Uh, so it's a great it's a great event uh, shared between the Avengers and the Fantastic Four, uh, Marvel's two premier teams that really, for the longest time, haven't sat as Marvel's premier teams. You know what I mean? Been overshadowed by Guardians of the Galaxy and 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 uh, various other uh, you know books, but. I think this puts them squarely where they where they should be. Uh, we and and it, it's twisted around. It hasn't gone the way I, I thought it'd gone. So Empire is about the uh, or seemed to be about the Kree and Skrull empires uh, finally after generations of war uh, uniting under the uh, under the, the 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 kingship of uh, Hulkling. Hulkling is a member of the Young Avengers character designed by uh, Alan. Alan Heinberg and Jim Chung, um, sort of in the early 2000s. There is a trade paperback of the Young Avengers out there that covers the first six issues. That is a lovely read. It's a fantastic read if you if you can pick it up. I highly recommend it. And it leads quite well into this. Um, so the the crawl and Scr- the crawl the crawl the Cree and Scroll empires uh, have united and uh, are on their way uh, towards Earth in order to exterminate their ancient foes, the the Kotari. Uh, that goes back to the original Kree Skrull War and the uh, the origin of the the Kree as a warlike race and uh, and all of that sort of stuff. So, um, it, yeah, so yeah, the the Avengers meet the Kree Skrull uh, Armada in space. Sorry, the Fantastic Four meet the Kree Skrull Armada in space. Meanwhile, the Avengers are on the moon. The Katari have always been friends of the Avengers. Have always been, uh, you know, the the swordsman who was once an Avengers member. Uh, died and his his body was reinvigorated as a as as one of these plant like creatures and he's lived in the the blue air of the moon. He has fathered uh, Sequoia, who is the the celestial messiah and leader of the uh, of the Katari. I say these these sentient plants. Uh, the Korean scrolls are going to exterminate them, and that seems to be the story uh, until uh, the end of uh, the end of the first issue. Uh, when it all becomes very, very clear that uh, 
that the empire they're talking about isn't the Kree and Skrull empire. It's the fact that the Kotati have now decided that they are going to eliminate all animal species in the universe and and, and take over, you know, and and, and, and their dominance as, as plants. Uh, we find the the Avengers now fighting against the the Kotati and on the side of the Kree and Skrull. We've got cool things happening, you know. Uh, Captain Marvel is imbued with the power of Hulkling Star Sword and becomes an accuser, as in ruling the accuser from Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, there's all sorts of just cool comic stuff going on. Um, you know, uh, Iron Man and, and Tony Stark are getting uh, Tony Stark and Reed Richards are getting together and trying to puzzle the problem out. T'Challa, the leader of the Avengers, the Black Panther, is ever the king. You know, he's he's got another plan. Um, the Celestial Madonna, the character who you guys probably know as Mantis from the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, mm-hmm. who is a very different character in the comics, uh, and the mother of the of the Celestial Messiah. She's the Celestial Madonna. He's the Celestial Messiah. Uh, you know, she's come to she's come to slap her uh, her young son on the wrist. You know, plants aren't taking over. It, it's just it's uh, it's just a really strong it's a really strong series. There's a a lot going on from a lot of different angles. Um, the tie-ins, a lot of the tie-ins have been very, very good. Uh, I haven't had a chance to read the uh, Captain America uh, tie-in, um, which is, has been mooted to be the best, the best tie-in of the lot. Um, there's been was a it, was the, it out in July, Keith? It was out in July. I'm three oh. short of my July pull list. Um, oh, I thought it was an August one. I could forgive you there. Uh, no, yeah, there's no forgiving to be, to be done, <laughs> Roddy. I'm sorry. I appreciate your uh, appreciate your mercy here. Um, but uh, it's written by the same guy that writes The Last God, which is another of the DC Black Label titles I've, I've chatted about a fair bit. Just would highly recommend it. It's just a good, solid comic book event series. The, the, it feels like a summer event, the way a summer event should be done. Cool. Well, well I'm glad you haven't went into too many spoilers there, simply because, again, I was mentioning at the start, the weekly format. And I'm really looking forward to just sitting down in one go. You know, it's released over six weeks. You never know. I may pick the odd uh, the odd tie-in off of you uh, yeah, along sure. the way. We will see. But uh, no, I'm looking forward to getting into it. I'm I'm a fan of Jim Chang's art. You know, as you say, you've Al Ewing doing you know Lord's work on Immortal Hulk. You've got Dan Slott, obviously knows Fantastic Four inside and out at the moment. So uh, no, I'm I'm looking forward to getting into it. I I don't know if this is a fair comment or not to say. It doesn't seem like the kind of event that will have long-term repercussions. Is that possibly fair to say, or I do any of them? Do any of them? Yeah, well, that's also true. Y- you know, uh, it's you know what it is is a is a good solid story uh, where you're you're seeing some of your favorite characters doing doing some cool things. Yeah, uh, you know, it's it seems like a really solid spine of a story. Uh, it is War of the Realms was another great example. You know, and and just as you said, Alan, you know, where those uh, those uh, tie-ins are, are adding value. Uh, the X, the first issue of the X Men tie-in, which was by Hickman, who is you know Lord of X just right now. Yeah. Uh, so whenever I saw Hickman was on that, I thought that'll be worth picking up. It has been. It is effectively. Uh, it is effectively. What did they call it? Uh, mutant mutant zombies versus uh, plant uh, plant something or other. I can't plant invaders. You know. So it was effectively plants versus zombies. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know. <laughs> Uh, great story. The Captain America one's supposed to be fantastic. Um, I've read 
they've got a series we were talking about long titles whenever it comes to death metal well this one's nearly as good uh they have uh you know empire lords of empire lord hulkling yeah uh, so that's the backstory <laughs> of hulkling as a character um do you remember do you remember incoming do you remember incoming the marvel uh one shot from uh, yeah yeah towards the end of last was, year wasn't it yeah yeah that was a wee bit we were all a wee bit underwhelmed um by it well this picks up that story there was a story in incoming about this Cree spy and this uh scroll spy on earth uh and it all tied into that that story and at the end of that particular story i think it was the the Cree. he ended up dying in front of the avengers whenever a plant grew out of his gullet and suffocated him and you know blew his body out suddenly it makes sense you know it, you, you're kind of like oh it was the katari all along it was those plant ones they're the bad ones <laughs> you know so yeah good solid good solid uh crossover good solid uh event series and as i say it's in good hands with with al and dan slot and valerio shidi's uh pencils are lovely just lovely um so yeah good one excellent so yeah so that was keith's one of keith's pick well i say a pick it was his three picks breaking the rules as always there miller uh empire one ah. to three the three july releases for the six issue event uh so yeah so we're going to finish off with one more and this one is as close to my heart i have to say simply because a it's a brilliant title b we've been talking about it ever since issue one we have probably had it as pick of the week, pick of the month, pick of the year several times. And now I'm delighted to say that Mr. McCants has finally joined the party. So yeah. what is your second pick of July? I've set my billy club down at the table and I am <laughs> on board Daredevil. <laughs> Fantastic. So hopefully, uh, um, Hopefully the lovely folk at Coffee and Heroes will be sourcing me all the issues. We've, we've got a but, few uh, there ready. Yeah, few yeah. Ready. yeah. Um, yes, I really appreciate that. Um, but yeah, so I just, I don't know, just um, I feel like I know quite a lot of what's going on in Daredevil through talking to you guys. And there's been a lot of, I've read this, I, re I think I've read some of them, you know, back in the day when we actually could meet up and talk and share comics so i read a few of them i just you know you can't go wrong with chip sadarsky on writing like at all and then marco Chichetto on art and then matea iacconi is the colorist as well um and then alan was telling me this is Chichetto's. is this his first cover yeah, I mean, it's predominantly been Julian Tolino Tedesco doing the covers and an absolutely wonderful run of covers they were. The style's a little different to this. This is probably the best example. I know something Keith talks about a lot is clean lines. This is mm -hmm. easily one of the best covers that demonstrates that. It's just an awesome image, brilliantly drawn, clear as day, beautiful. Yeah, that's it would make a fantastic poster or a fantastic print. It's just pure daredevil like it's and yeah. of course it's it's a wee bit it's a wee bit joyous because this issue has Daredevil back in the back in the red. It, especially it's it's great and I think um hopefully I sum it up, but Chichetto um it certainly brings he sums up I love it when a, a cover kind of sums up what's in the issue and it relates to the themes of it. And there's a lot of, yeah, the thrill of being Daredevil is on the cover. So forgive me if I don't get the story quite right. I'm still catching up. But um, so we, the story has been predominantly Daredevil struggling with 
he basically was forced out of being Daredevil by Spider-Man. Who told he him killed, not he to. Kill, he killed a man. Because, yes, because, well, he thought he killed a man, didn't he? Mm. Or he believes he killed him. No, he but did. He did do it. He, he did? Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was clumsy. It was... It was sort of a daredevil coming back from being a little rusty and it was a group that set on him and he sort of like shrugged one of them off and he mm-hmm. tripped and from memory he, he's head collided with a curb mm-hmm. and then he, he died. But it obviously wasn't intentional, but it was his fault. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so the story follow, kind of follows the... There's the Stromwind siblings who are sort of elite money-grabbing societal... Neoliberal bastards. Yeah. <laughs> so they've only got money on their mind and they've they've sort of said it there was a chain of events that sort of uh culminated in the destruction of Hell's Kitchen. Um and then I think previously there was um the rogues gal they got the rogues gallery of Daredevil to sort of help out in this. Yeah. Uh and I believe that prompted Daredevil to come back and a lot of the series focused on the sort of push and pull of Kingpin and Daredevil and their mm. relationship between each other. So this one, I was just like, had to jump on. Alan was like, it's the start of another jumping on point. And we always, we always talk about like, um, we kind of always talk in the previews, like, oh, this would be a really good jumping on point. And then, do you know, so, sometimes we never really do. Yeah. So I was just kind of like, do you know what? Yeah, I will. Um, good for you. The book, the book is awesome. Absolutely loved it. It's sort of the um, covers a lot of the earlier stuff, um, and there's a lot of fallout with Kingpin and Cole, Cole, Cole the detective. Yeah, Cole, Cole North. North. Who there's been a lot of relationship and a lot of issues with um, Daredevil in this one, and then it sort of culminates in Daredevil wanting to turn himself in and be tried, but he wants to be tried as daredevil not matt murdoch which i thought was a really interesting sort of caveat and then as you guys were saying earlier um plays back to i love the callback to i remember you guys talking about actually the when spider-man visits him and tells him look you have to hang this up this one goes back to that and daredevil basically tells him to like piss off basically he's got he's yeah, got it covered now yeah he says what does he say he says he says you know i appreciate that but uh you're not my moral compass you're not yeah. my you know not my moral authority is what it is but i'm daredevil yeah. <laughs> it's class and, and that's the first that i mean that's that's the thing roddy is this is the first time that you see daredevil back in the daredevil costume since mm-hmm. jesus how long alan since um how long since what sorry since since the last time we saw Daredevil in his in his uniform, it's almost. I mean, it's, that's it's, it. I mean, you saw him sort of in forms of his uniform. You saw a mask here. You saw sort of a t-shirt there. But yeah, throughout the the massive battle that took place in Hell's Kitchen, it was predominantly he took one of the masks off the other Daredevils, didn't he? Uh, yeah. To conceal yeah. his identity. But who would have thought that when you were first seeing him in full outfit, it would be you know. At a, at a law firm, essentially. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's interesting. And I don't know if this is the first time they've done this, but it's something that my attention was was on. I don't know if it's something that Chip mentioned whenever we interviewed him. Uh huh. But the idea of uh, you know that Matt's father was a boxer. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things, I mean, but Daredevil very often you see him with gloves, 
but whenever he's putting his costume, you can see him putting boxing wraps on around his fingers and around his hands. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very uh, predominant in that. And um, it really is because even whenever he he first leaps from the building in costume, you can see the 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 the, the tails of the boxing wraps sort of tailing off in the wind, uh, which is kind of it was kind of for me. Yeah, it was kind of off putting and and. When he lands in the car, you see them as well, so they're very much drawing attention to them. But I thought, is that not going to be a pain in the butt whenever you're rolling around the place and flying around the place, having these things swinging off? But anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> but uh, I mean, the gist of it was was really cool. You know that you know foggy foggy effectively. Foggy Nelson comes up with a with a plan. You know that that they'll be trying Daredevil, as you said, not as Matt Murdock, but as Daredevil. Uh, you know, because I, I think previously Daredevil have been able to give testimony as Daredevil, uh, and so they'll be trying him as Daredevil. But before he tries him, uh, the district attorney, before he agrees to that appeal, the district attorney asks. He says, "I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna try you unless I know who's under that mask. Who, who is gonna try?" And of course, Matt uh, takes off the mask, the Daredevil mask, and. It's very rare that you see uh, you see Matt Murdock with his mask off and without his glasses on for a start. You know, you just see the you know the shadows of his eyes. Uh, it's quite a haunting image. But uh, of course, Matt has worked in the district attorney's office, so the district attorney is absolutely disgusted about how Matt has treated justice. You know, hits him a slap. You know, he says, "Fuck you! You worked for me for this office, prosecuting." And you know, uh, Matt's trying to apologize, and it just won't it won't go over. And I just, I feel like that, now knowing who Matt is, is not going to play well <laughs> for for Matt with the district attorney at all in court. I don't think it's, you know, because he is just, he is just so pissed off about how he has been betrayed. You know, it's, uh, yeah, what a what an issue, like, what an issue. Well, that's always one of the joys of Daredevil for me and that, you know, Matt has such regard for the law. And vows they uphold it, and then goes out every single night and breaks it. Essentially, you know, all all for the right reasons. You know, of course, of protecting people and you know all the rest. But it's it's always been that interesting duality. I think to the character is one of the reasons I love it so much. Letter um, of the law and spirit of the law. Yeah, that's that's you know, that's a, a good way to put it. Uh, I would say uh, it's kind of interesting. Uh, we've been watching through Better Call Saul, uh-huh. uh, which is very much based on the law. You know, and. Uh, you know, and uh, Jimmy's Jimmy struggles with, uh, you know, adhering to adhering to the law, despite the fact he himself is a lawyer. You know, and his brother then, who is very much the letter of the law lawyer, you know, and and protects the law with his with his very life. You know, it's so. Uh, there's definitely a there's there's a a parallel to be drawn there somewhere. I think. Yeah, I mean, Better Call Saul only gets better the more you go through it as well. I yeah. I'm actually one of those people. I prefer it to Breaking Bad. Um, which, I wouldn't go that far yet, but I'm certainly getting there. It's it's uh, just to go off on a very quick tangent here. The the thing that I love about Better Call Saul so much is that Jimmy, at his base level, is trying his best to be a good person, and he just wants to impress his older brother, and he he just wants to be a lawyer and this and that. But because you know the character's ultimate conclusion in Breaking Bad of essentially a sleaze bag you know, mall lawyer, for lack of a better term, it's heartbreaking because you know no matter how many times he tries to be good, that's where he's going to end up. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's tragic in a way. It's yeah. a tragedy. It is a tragedy. So, yeah. but Anyway, uh, 
but yeah, so I'm very, I'm glad that we were finally able to wear you down, Roddy. I'm I'm glad that you know last time it was you and Keith wearing me down with uh, Conan, and you know I I thank you both eternally for it. Yeah. Uh, so it's nice to see that we wore you down with a title with uh with. Daredevil. Only took twenty issues, you know. So so yeah. is it is it my turn to be worn down by you guys next then? For I, something? You, you might just be, mm-hmm. you know, you might just mm-hmm. be. Well, I've already, sort of, I've already we'll, sort we'll of, I've already sort of, I've already sort of worn you down. You're going to be getting that omnibus of Nightwing U52, so it's yeah, all good. Yeah, I mean, Jesus, at the end of the day, Alan, I'm easy. When it comes to reading <laughs> comics, I'm easy. As long as it's quality. As long as it's quality. And there's a lot of quality out there. <laughs> yep, indeed. So, yeah, cool. So that's going to bring an end to the Marvel portion of the review show. Uh, so we're going to be moving on now to the indie stuff. So the indie stuff is split, I think, completely. Oh, no, it's not. I was going to say it's, it's split completely pretty much between me and Roddy, but uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of good stuff in there, just looking at that list. Why don't you kick us off, Roddy? We've got, um, we're going to try and group it together. So there was a couple of new series launched this month that we very much enjoyed. Uh, a few number ones in there. Um, so why don't you kick off, Roddy, with certainly the thickest number one of the month. <laughs> 56, 56 oh, okay. pages, yeah. I believe. 56 pages. Solid, a solid uh, $6.99 comic from Scout Comics. Um, so this this is the, the first of a three-issue sort of, I uh, wouldn't call it a miniseries because it is very long. Um, and it's called Vlad Dracul. Um, obviously, as you may tell by the name, based on Vlad the Impaler. Um, and yeah, like... I was really interested in this. I think it was one of my previous picks as well. Um, I just, I loved everything about it. It was originally, this is a translation of a comic published in Italy by Phil Torini. Um, It's written by novelist Matteo Struckel with artwork by Andrea Muti, who's, who's got very popular in the States, sort of working on a lot of different comics for different companies. So, yeah, um, this is obviously there's been endless interpretations of Dracula. This is very much focusing on the historic side of it. The Vlad the Impaler, obviously the myth, who the myth is based on. There's a lot more historic stuff, but it's um, there's a little like little sprinkling touches of the horror and the vampire lore, which I really liked. And do you know the artwork it's so gorgeous it's like it's not clean lines keith but it's so good um what i loved about it it's a beautiful there's a beautiful landscape to it and i think it would work really well somewhere out there is a european sized band de Dessinée, black label title black label sized edition of this that i really really want because that i really <laughs> want the artwork just blown up and i think it works like that um not that it's um bad at all shrunk down but i think it would really work in that sort of bigger european style um but yeah we're sort of at the start we're sort of introduced to two two sort of point of view characters in uh 1456 um obviously high in the car- Carpathian Mountains, isn't it? Or the Transylvania nah, Mountains? The one, yeah. Carpathian Mountains. Um, it's Katharina and her brother Estevan are con- confronted by a pack of hung- hungry wolves, and then basically they're ready for a fight, and then in steps our mysterious uh, Vlad, ruler um, of the state and the land itself. Um, yeah, like 
I love everything Dracula and Castlevania certainly brought uh, the mythos back to kind of the forefront, the great Netflix show. Um, the But I really enjoyed that these two characters are sort of, they're the entry point for you. You're seeing, you're not really, you see Vlad, but he's sort of at a distance towards it. And then he's sort of, sort of the story jumps in time a little bit. And then to focus a little bit more on Vlad and then where these other two characters are to where Katarina is. And she, Katarina is basically the, she's the secret lover of the, the current Voivode, who's like the, the warlord of um, this, this sort of region in the mountains. And yeah, it only gets better from there. And the art just creates this tremendous atmosphere. It really feels like you're, there i love it i really really dig it um scratchy watercolory just a beautiful beautiful book and uh, i can't wait for the second one to come out yeah it's um if you like history i'd say it's one to go for if you like the i think the next issue will maybe pick up a little bit in the sort of dracula style a bit more but this one was very much historically as far as I'm aware, according to some of the books I've read, it's pretty accurate, but uh, like I can't be sure. Um, there's some stuff that I thought some of the dialogue is a wee bit iffy, but I think it's just lost in translation. There's some there's some kind of corny sounding words, but I, I do really kind of feel it's maybe they've maybe just lost in being translated from Italian to English. But um, yeah. Anybody else pick it up? Did you pick it up, Alan? Yeah, I read through it myself. It was another one of those you got to order early because this is Scout Comics, so it's a small imprint. It's uh, you got to make sure that you get your orders in to to be guaranteed it. And when Roddy recommended it, I'm I'm the same. I'm a bit of a sucker for a for a decent Dracula story. And yeah, I really dug it. I I know what you mean about the art style. I thought it really suited the the sort of era it was portraying. I thought the characterization of Vlad was very interesting because it almost focused on him more as like a lover than anything else. Like he gets very protective mm -hmm. at one point. Um, I like the part where he argues with his wife about how he loves his mistress and stuff like that. So there was there was actually good depth in characterization rather than just, you know, you know, I always think of Dracula as someone who just seduces people and, and mm -hmm. that's it. But, oh, yeah. you know, it's almost like he had pure love for this person and... Uh, it was it got quite violent in places as well. Yeah, I, I dug it. Um just on your recommendation I made sure to order all three issues for myself as as well as for you. So uh I'm sure between the two of us we can uh, make sure you get a, a little look at this as well, Keith. I'd appreciate that. Nice. Uh just just looking at uh looking at some of the art on it even is unbelievable. It it sort of maybe puts me in the mind of some of the old Prince Valiant comic books that have that that's definitely that European sort of vibe about them, uh, Roddy. Yeah, that's that looks oh, like good stuff. Yeah, that's the stuff I love. Like, yeah, just um, and like, cause you kind of think um, we're not like I don't know if like it's kind of political, but we're like we're in the UK, like, but we're are mostly most of the comics we're getting is from America, so now we're getting sort of there's a whole wealth of European comics that we don't see unless they're sort of translated from Scout. I know we've seen like Little Bird as well from Image. There's a, like, there's loads that we're kind of missing. So it's, it's great to see. And especially the talent is sort of bled over, but the actual books they worked on, I don't think has oh. quite yet. 
That's just typical, Roddy. All these lovely people vote for Brexit and you're looking for European <laughs> comic books. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it shows, shows where my heart lies. You know? <laughs> this, uh, this political message was brought to you by Keith Miller. <laughs> There's always one every podcast. <laughs> You'd miss it if it wasn't there. <laughs> so that was Vlad Tracool, number one from Scout Comics. So that was uh, a pick from Roddy. Uh, pick from myself, so again, keeping the theme of number ones this month going in the indie world. My pick is a series that I was very, very much looking forward to. It was one that was solicited a few months ago. When it was announced, I was exceptionally happy because we were basically returning to a world that I love. Uh, for anyone who hasn't read it, in June of 2009, a series started with Image Comics written by John Lehman and art was by Rob Gillery. Someone we obviously talk about an awful lot with regards to Farmhand, which, which we're all big fans of. But they started this comic called Chew. And if you were unfamiliar, so I should specify, first of all, Chew is C-H-E-W. Uh, that becomes important later on, I promise. But if you're unfamiliar yeah. with it, the original Chew was about an FDA agent, uh, Tony Chew. And his surname is spelled C-H-U. Uh, but he had a special ability. He was what was called a chibopath, meaning he could gather psychic impressions from things he he ate basically you know like if he bit into a tomato he could you know sense where the land was that it was grown on what fertilizers went into it that kind of thing uh the police find out about this ability and they bring him in to bite a corpse to see if he can get an impression of who he was with before he died you know how he died all that kind of stuff so the original book was phenomenal i'm a massive fan of it you know the the large omnibuses are behind me i have all the single issues as well and it ran for 60 issues and just absolute masterpiece. Can't recommend it enough. So recently there was a three-issue miniseries called Outer Darkness Chew, which gave us a little taste of the Chew world again. Outer Darkness is a title also written by John Lehman, so it was a crossover. But now we're actually into a full-blown Chew sequel slash prequel slash building on that world, essentially. But this one is spelled C-H-U. And this one is following a character called Saffron Chu. And you find out by the end of the issue who Saffron Chu is. But what's interesting about it is, and it actually brings it full circle, I promise we plan these things. We were chatting there about Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. And John Lehman was talking, I got chatting to him on Twitter about it because he did like, a, you know, I'm free for an hour, guys, ask me any questions. And I got chatting to him about it, and he said he views this Chew as his Better Call Saul because this is actually a prequel to the main series of Chew. Uh, so, as I say, you follow this character, Saffron Chew. Now, she is what's called a Chibo Par, and what that means is she's able to learn secrets about whoever she eats with. So if they all share a meal together, she basically learns people's secrets. And she's a thief, and the issue kicks off where they're planning a heist. And of course, like all heists in comic books, movies, TV shows, whatever, the heist goes wrong. Uh, but she manages to escape. A lot of her cohorts get arrested. But it's this traditional zany, over-the-top humor that is so contained within the Chew world. But what became interesting about it was Saffron, as I say, is a criminal. She's a thief. Well, Saffron is Tony Chu's sister, and Tony is a cop. So this is actually going to explore their relationship before the main Chu uh, series kicks off. Uh, we were talking before about noir, for example, Roddy. Uh, John Lehman calls this a food noir. 
tell me you're not tell me you're not interested um but yeah so he says you know it's about cops crooks cooks and clairvoyance so really really impressed with it it is a different artist so it's an artist called dan boltwood as opposed to rob gilroy who of course is off doing his own creator own stuff but this was superb i mean if you are familiar with the world of chew you get tons out of it if you're a new reader, you learn everything you need to learn. It's Again, I go back to Better Call Saul. You could easily watch Better Call Saul without seeing Breaking Bad, but you will see little nods and characters and you know all that kind of stuff. So really, really impressed with it. Uh, it is critically doing very well. It's already went back to second print, just in case anybody missed out on it. I have ordered the second prints for the store. Uh, I have a feeling there's going to be a big image title and definitely one to keep an eye on. Uh, you know, just the world of Chew, you know, it was multiple Eisner winning, it was, you know, big sales figures. They've talked many times about a TV show, but it hasn't quite materialized just yet, which is a shame. Uh, it feels like uh, it feels like a TV show would probably, given given Rob Gilroy's art, I feel like it would work best animated. Oh, absolutely. Put it in the, you know, put it in the Rick and Morty vein or, you know, something yeah, like that. Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, this, this is the, re- I didn't, I didn't pick this up. I made a choice not to pick this up because I haven't finished Chew yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were kind enough to lend me your uh, your your Chew massive. What do they call it? The Omnivore uh, Edition. The Omnivore Edition, uh, <laughs> and that's like the first fifty issues or something, isn't it, Alan? So the first one I lent you was the first twenty issues. First twenty issues. Then this lovely one that I'm showing you now, that no one, for the benefit of this audio medium, can see, is Volume Two. Okay, and uh, that's the next that, twenty. That's the next twenty, and then there's a third one. Sorry, they're not called the Omnivore editions. That's the slightly smaller ones. These are called the Smorgasbord editions. Smorgasbord, yeah. Okay, so I would love to take that off your hands for a uh, for a number of days. Oh, I that can certainly be arranged. Certainly be arranged. Now that you've got all these free weekends, unfortunately. Um, mm, yep, yep, but, yep. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Chew, as I say, what what's great about it is that the new one, I should say, is that it is very approachable. If you haven't read Chew. You'll probably read this and then go, can I read you? You know, you'll, you'll want to learn more about this world because it's just really interesting. It's really creative. It's it's everything a good comic book should be. Uh, it's, ju- it's, it's sort of set in as a, a heightened realism, if you will, a heightened reality. You know, it's a world we very much recognize, but just that little extraordinary sort of uh, twinge to it as well. So uh, highly, highly recommend. It was actually... You know, uh, we'll obviously talk at the end about our favorite title of the month, but this was very, very high on my list. I read it twice, loved it start to finish. So, um, yeah, that was uh, a pick of my own, which was Chew number one. Having having not finished Chew and, re- and very much have enjoyed those first 20 issues, looking forward to the rest. Uh, would you recommend that I just I, I hold on and wait or should I pick up, should I start picking up and, and, and hold it? Um... I- it could go either way. I think that that's the great thing about it. It's almost like different pieces of the same jigsaw. So okay. I think that you could jump on and read it, but maybe you'll get more from it if you have read the original Chew. I do know this first story arc is going to be five issues. Uh, it is a story arc entitled The First Course. So John Lehman, again, when I was chatting to him on Twitter that time, he has said he has lots of stories he'd like to tell in this universe. So dependent on sales and you know images, willingness to let him continue, which looks very promising, as I say, because number one's back to a second print, which is always a, always a good sign. So, yeah, I mean, I'll... You, you can happily continue to borrow Chew off me in its various forms. That's no problem. So by the time you finish the third smorgasbord, the five issues of this will probably be out. So uh, Perfect. So Perfect. 
I'm more than happy to do so. So yeah, as I say, chew number one from me. Um, so again, continue the the uh, status of exploring indie number ones that tickled our fancy this month. Uh, another one from yourself, Rory? Yeah. Um, so this one is from Image, and it's Lost Soldiers number one. Um, this one, I don't really know. This is one I kind of have to admit that I wasn't on straight away um didn't pre-order it oh you broke somebody's heart with this one to, yeah have to send a, a deep apology to phil i may have take, taken your issue but <laughs> hopefully he got sorted he got no, sorted no i'm sure <laughs> phil will take issue with that <laughs> um but yeah um so this is yeah it's written by alice cott um, it's art by Luca Casalanguida. Uh, the color artist is Heather Marie Lawrence Moore and letterer Adia Bidikar. Um, God, this book, Alice Cott is somebody who's he certainly, he's kind of like a divisive figure, but what he does is challenge his reader. When you read his stuff, he wants to engage you and make you ask questions. And that's why... I really, really wanted to pick up this book. He did a fantastic um, Bloodborne series, which I really liked. And this book, I just I find it enthralling. I wanted when I was sort of looking through. I think I saw, I think I saw like an article about it, and I, I looked at the art, and I was like, oh, I think I need to have that. And you know, obviously, it was a couple of weeks. Alan was very kind to to get me a copy anyway. But um, this book sort of it's set on two two different uh, time frames. Uh, the first one is in the Vietnam War in 1969, and it follows a group of soldiers. And then basically we jump back and forth from there to present day, and we see the same group of soldiers. They are much older, but they obviously wounded from Vietnam, but they've just they haven't really fixed their wounds. They've just kind of covered them over, and they're still doing sort of like mercenary work and there's still this element of like weird macho horrible energy between them um and it's an exploration of all that sort of stuff this this guilt that soldiers must feel but there's there's fantastic narration in it that's kind of like this beautiful poetry which kind of mixes with uh, heather marie's beautiful kind of colors in it there's a lovely 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 color of blood which sounds like a very specific thing but i it really stood out to me um just the intensity of, of some of the images in it it really really works um there's a, it's very meditative you know it, it would remind you of something like apocalypse now but kind of crossed with um sort of like a i don't know one last score kind of movie that sort of thing um but the relationship between these characters very macho, very, for want of a better phrase, toxic masculinity between them. And it's all about the violence and trauma that they've all gone through. And it's it's simply a fantastic read. And I, I just adored it from start to finish. Um, and yeah, the relation, the design of the book's really good because it's, it's got some cool back matter too and some great quotes as well. So definitely one, I think it'll be a really good trade, um, but obviously it's great if you can find the first issue. I think the second issue might be out in a couple of weeks, but um, yeah, like absolutely adored this. Everything about it was just fantastic. Really um, 
a really visceral book, I'd say. And then it would put you in mind, kind of, there's like a surreal quality too that would put you in mind, like a David Lynch or something. It's, it has like so much jammed into the first issue. Really, really good. Anybody else? Yeah, I've got a copy of it yeah. sitting here, but I haven't actually started reading it. As as you were saying, you'd sort of nabbed the last copy off the shelves, so I ordered a few more in. <laughs> so I've actually got a couple on the racks at the moment, but I, I made sure to nab one myself. Yeah, I mean, Aless Cod, he's very, very divisive, as you say. I mean, there's a few of his things that I've read. Um, I think he did a series called Change, if I remember correctly. Yeah, back in 2013, which was... One of the weirdest things I've ever read. It actually put me in mind of... Have you ever seen the Richard Kelly movie, Southland Tales? Yes. It put yeah. me in mind of something like that. And I, again, <laughs> he's a divisive filmmaker, I suppose, as well. But mm -hmm. uh, there was another one he did recently as well called Days of Hate that was very good. was 12 issues. But yeah, he's very... You either like it or you don't. I think some people see him as a little bit pretentious. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, he has a lot of big ideas and... You know, maybe they're all fully explored and all that kind of stuff. But no, I am going to give this a go. I've heard really good stuff uh, about it. And obviously, if it's made it on your, onto your picks of the month list, then there must be something going for it. So, uh, no, <laughs> it's the ultimate accomplishment, obviously. It really is, you know. I mean, you, you, you don't wing this every month at all. You know, this is... No, this, definitely not. This is careful planning. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to dig into it this week. So, I'm dude. So, uh, I'll, I'll throw you my feedback anyway. But, uh, yeah, that was Lost Soldiers number one. Uh, we're going to move on now to another one from myself, which is technically it's a number one, but it's also a one shot, but it's also a connecting issue. And it is the return of one of my favorite characters of the last year. Kanto is a series that I kid you not, when it first came out, I was the only person in the store reading. Not one person had it in their pull list. And I collected, I love this charming little character. It was an IDW series. Uh, by a couple of creators, so David M. Boer and Drew Zucker. And I finished it, and then I gave it to Vicky to read, and she had all six issues to read at once. She read it all through, and it really struck a chord with her as well. So she started recommending it to people in the store. I started recommending it, and I swear we've probably got at least 20 people on Canto now through picking up the single issues, picking up the trade, and there's a sequel coming soon called Canto 2, The Hollow Men. But before that, we got this really wonderful little one-shot called Canto and the Clockwork Fairies. So this is basically set immediately after uh, the first book ends. So Canto and his people have been freed. You know, some of them are still getting used to that freedom, which is, you know, something really kind of endearing and emotional to read. You know, some of them, you know, in Canto's universe, he was the only one that gave himself a name. All of the rest of them just didn't have names assigned to them. So some of them can't even come up with a name for themselves because even the whole idea of having one is just ridiculous but, but, but anyway so they're basically leaving uh they're on a pilgrimage to go back to their ancestral home so his entire race were essentially slaves and they've now been freed and they're making this pilgrimage back to where they first came from and i think that's then where hollow man is going to be set along the line uh, Canto along the way as well, he picked up a friend, uh, it's a type of creature called the Malarex as well, and in this uh, Clockwork Fairies one shot, the Malarex gets kidnapped and taken down into this deep cave, and you know, Canto hears the, you know, Canto's the archetypal little guy with the big heart, he's the one that if his friends are in trouble, he will not hesitate to run headfirst into danger to try and save them. 
It's funny you say that because uh, <laughs> because Kendo's the little guy with the damaged heart. Yeah, isn't he? Rather than the big heart, you know, it's uh, he does have a big heart spiritually, but uh, technically, I guess part of the story was that was that uh, you know, well, I, I don't want to I don't want to spoil the original Kendo, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, uh, yeah, I, I'd forgotten that he was he was wired up. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. it, it, part of the joy of this story. I mean, I always think so, some of the best stories are ones that any age range can read and get something out of it. You know, Canto, for whatever reason, you can tell this is heavily, heavily inspired by Lord of the Rings. You know, it's an adventure. It's, you know, the, the little guy going out into the big world and the little guy is the most important part of, you know, the most important component, just the way that, you know, Frodo was with, you know, the responsibility of carrying the one ring and Bilbo was with his, you know, great adventure and so forth. And um, Bone was. And Bone, of course, is another. Yeah, yeah that that's a great example, actually. Yeah, I would maybe compare this to... Uh, probably won't have reached the levels of bone just yet you know given how well received it is and obviously how epic it is you know we're only really seven issues into kanto's adventures but i definitely get that vibe i mean yeah i was talking there about you know how he you know jumps headfirst into danger and you know if his friends are in trouble and there's just this great double page spread one page is a splash page where Kanto's looking down into the abyss and it's just darkness he can't see how deep it is he can't see anything but he sort of says my friend and then he just he tries to set up a, a vine to jump down and then he just jumps head first and looks for the Malarex down there who has basically what he discovers is that there is this witch who has been encasing all the fairies of this uh, of this world and enslaving them and Kanto obviously this this hits home with him you know he had come from slavery and he had managed to get himself free so he obviously wants to help as well just a wonderfully told little story, just one shot, you know, it's great to see Kanto back with his own people as well and seeing more like him because in the first storyline, he was very much out in the open world on his own, but now it's nice to see him almost as the de facto leader, almost able to prove, you know, guys, we can be something more than slaves and, you know, you don't just have to settle for that life. So... Yeah, just really, really great wee one shot. I'm, you know, we, we get on very, very well with the creators of this. We, you know, I like to think that we were one of the first comic stores that really, really pushed this title and, you know, very vocal about it in social media, very vocal about it, um, you know, in terms of reviewing it, in terms of recommending it, in terms of getting people hyped for The Hollow Men, the sequel. And I'm starting to see it everywhere now. And it, it's great to see that people are picking up on this. You know, I think it was... Um, they, they, I think it was Drew put up a, a tweet the other day, and it was the top ten reordered titles. Um, you know, in terms of when retailers are able to top up their orders for new releases, and it was fifth on the list of um, most reordered, because it's it's a real word of mouth title that uh, just keeps spreading and spreading. You know, I you know bought Vicky a piece of original art from it. She's got one of the original pages that was drawn. You know, hangs pride of place in the in the living room. Even though we said the living room would only have photos of family in there, but you know, Kanto's become family, so <laughs> it's uh, it's all good. <laughs> um, it's oh, it's a fantastic. I mean, it, it it does it does fall very well, you know, in the footsteps of you know following. I guess Jeff Smith's bone and that you know. Uh, it's not a, it's not, it's an all ages comic. It's not a comic. It's not a kids comic. It's an all ages comic. Oh, 100%. I think, you know, uh, in the same way as Bone Wars, it's a fantasy epic in the same way as Bone Wars is. 
Um, I, I think it's just it's fantastic, and I don't. You know what? I've just suddenly realised I don't know if I just assumed that you would stick me down for Canto Two because I have because I got Canto One, or if I actually said to you I want Canto Two. Uh, I mean, what I did was anybody who picked up Clockwork Fairies, I may not have necessarily put it straight in their list because I don't like to add things without people's consent, but I made sure I ordered more than enough that if someone perfect. read Clockwork Fairies that they could come to me and say, crap, I forgot to put that on my list. So, uh, yeah, don't you worry. Yeah. You'll, you'll, you'll be sort of good, sir. But, brilliant, uh, brilliant. Um, there's, there's another, there's, an, there's something else at play here as well. Um, you know, in the, in the same way as, as you know, Canada's people were captured and their hearts were replaced with clocks, and Canto's clock is damaged. The witch has been replacing parts of herself. Her arms, her eyes, and her her legs are mechanical. Mm-hmm. She's a cyborg, and she's been replacing the fairy's wings with clockwork wings. Uh, so I don't, I don't know. Is there? You get the feeling there's a bigger world that's going to be explored here. Yeah, I, I, yeah, and I don't even know. Is there? Is there some sort of a? Is there a a, a story here about? about disability or or something like that i don't know is there something more going on here it it could almost be about you know not letting any form of disability hold you back from you know realizing your full potential that kind of thing Mm -hmm. you know yeah anyway just a yeah it's 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 a lovely lovely story and i love the end of it the end's fantastic yeah the end was just oh <laughs> it's it's the really great sort of hero moment, you know, emerging yeah, from the, yeah, the dark yeah. shadows and so but forth. But it's but it's it's very much the opposite of it's very much the opposite of what we uh oddly admire in all our heroes and a lot of our heroes is that most of them are lone wolves. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the you know, our Batmans and our Spider Mans and our you know, all of those heroes are are in, in somewhere all our Lone wolves—they operate by themselves, and I don't know if that's that's a weird sort of uh, toxic male fantasy or, or what it is. But you know, because we because we're all stronger together generally, you know, and that's that's what Canto does. Yeah, you know, it's you know very much not being alone and being stronger as part of a family or stronger as part of together. A team. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very absolutely. much so. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm delighted to say that you know. With Canto One, you know, obviously our orders were small on it and so forth, but you know our orders are big on Canto Two, and and we sold out of this. Like I ordered relatively big on this, I have to say, just because I wanted to support the creators more than anything. You know, even if we didn't sell out on it, I I didn't care. I wanted to contribute because I loved this story, um, and I was delighted to see it completely sell out. We've actually got second prints on the way, and most of them are claimed already as well. So it's. It's a storyline that it's a story that's growing uh, in popularity and word of mouth. I think is very strong. There was a really good story. One of our regulars, Patrick, told us, and he bought it on Vicky's recommendation, and he wanted something that he could also share with his niece and nephew. And he read it first, and he thought it was absolutely wonderful. And then he said. I don't want them to wreck my really nice graphic novel. I, I don't want them to destroy my copy of Canto. So he doesn't know whether to, you know, let the kids read it or not. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible OCD we have as comic collectors, you know. But uh, yeah, can't recommend it enough, guys. You know, the the second prints are on their way. The trade is is become, going to become another staple of Coffee and Heroes. It's one we'll always have on the shelves. And then yeah, the sequel's hitting soon, which is Canto Two and the Hollow Men. So get on it. Don't wait 20 years, Roddy. Just get on it. Yeah. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with him, Roddy. <laughs> well, see, I'm in a conundrum because I have the graphic novel. 
So, right. Okay. But um, I did pick up. I picked up that one because Vicky told me a really nice story about the creators. Actually, and it was something to do with um, price gouging. So I was like, "Damn right, I'm going to buy this." this we uh one shot so i i don't know what i'll do i don't know maybe wait for the trade for the next one i don't know well in the meantime there's a great one volume, there's a great one volume collection of bones sitting in the shop as well you should pick up if you haven't read it already keith i've read all the bones oh you, you have read you a think you, have you missed this over lockdown oh so you did sorry yeah, my mistake yeah. perfect we'll need to have a private chat about that oh, okay fantastic yeah yeah, yeah. Really I, I look stuff. forward to the idea of a bone book club but something tells me it would be about 10 hours long <laughs> 10 parts <laughs> <laughs> a book club in 10 parts <laughs> Oh no! It would be a twelve issue. It would be a twelve part series. Well, we do, yeah, we do like yeah. like those twelve yeah. issue maxi series. So, cool. Right, I'm gonna move away from my Canto loving then and uh, throw it over to Roddy for an eighties loving instead. What have you got up for us next? All right. Um, so speaking of lone wolves, we maybe have the ultimate lone wolf in Snake Eyes, and this one. I decided to go for G.I. Joe, uh, a real American hero, complete silence, which is, it was a four ninety nine issue, and it's basically two reprints of two of the, pretty much two of the most iconic uh, G.I. Joe comics ever, and certainly one of the most unique comic books we've taught, I think I talked about it before on the previews, and I remember talking about Conan Exodus, which was pretty much an entire like silent comic without any letters beautiful. so feel bad for the letters who aren't getting work off this you know but <laughs> but yeah this one the, the first one was probably the more iconic one which was issue 22 of the ongoing marvel at the time gi joe series uh story and breakdowns were by larry hammer who's basically you know a god amongst like gi <laughs> joe fans larry yeah um, finishes were by Steve Lealoha. Colors are George Russos. And I find this really interesting. The edits were Denny O'Neill, which is oh, pretty cool. Um, the late, the late, late lamented. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, si- the silent interlude was fantastic because it tells it tells a story without any dialogue or anything like that. It's entirely in pictures. It's fantastic. The basic crux of the story is Snake Eyes is dropped off to invade Cobra Island to rescue Scarlet. Um, and he there's basically a bit of action where Storm Shadow and Cobra Commander are interrogating Scarlet. And it goes from there, keeps going. Snake Eyes sort of parachutes out of the plane in a very iconic scene. Um, yeah, and it introduces a lot of great characters too because we have... There's a lot of great images of like Destro, who looks a bit Doctor Doom-esque in this one. Really good stuff. And then by the end of it, it tells a really great story. Really great action comic as well, which I'd, I'd sort of forgotten about. And it certainly feels off its time when you read it. There's a lot of uh, shadows and everyone's all the same color. All that kind of yellow color. Um and then Snake Eyes is kind of all blue in some parts, which is interesting. And towards the very end, Snake Eyes battles this uh, red ninja character who was also introduced there, who's basically training under Storm Shadow. It's really cool. And then towards the end, there is a massive revelation when Snake Eyes, he rescues Scarlet, but then Storm Shadow 
notices something about him and then that sort of sets off one of the most iconic relationships in G.I. Joe, which is really, really interesting stuff. And then the the second one, which was, I believe, that's um, the Devil's Jew series, also written by Larry Hama, and then artwork by Jeremy Deal, and that's issue 21.5, and that's sort of their tribute to the original story, which is, it's really good. It follows the same same sort of ground, but it's updated a lot in terms of artwork and style. There's maybe a few more splash pages, whereas the Marvel ones, you're it's kind of sticking to your rigid format like Marvel would have had in the 80s, you know, your six panels and kind of small, a lot of small panels in there, whereas this one's sort of larger in scope. But yeah, really, it's worth picking up if you want to know, if you want to read a bit more about like because it's comics history and they're I'm sure that issue 21 is hard to come by at the moment. So yeah, and like I I love all things GI Joe anyway, so it was definitely definitely worth picking up for 4.99. When you read through that Roddy, are you tempted to just create your own dialogue in your head and just, you know, tell your own story or do you just say keep <laughs> it in silence? You know, you could you could do, but I don't think there is any silence. I think cuz they are lone lone wolves like we were talking about, I don't think they talk at all. Just get the sword out and start. Uh, get your katanas out and start battling each other. You know. Yeah. But yeah. Really good stuff. Cool. Uh, so that's GI Joe: The Complete Silence one shot. Uh, why don't you finish off then, Roddy, with your last pick, and then we'll move on. I do have another pick, but I get the feeling that our last couple are going to be unanimous ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think. This one was a unanimous one, and I believe we talked about it last time, but I thought this one was maybe even better. So Did you I reckon? Think, yeah, I think it deserves to be chatted about. Yeah, sure. Obviously, I think um, the first issue was um, it was a double-sized issue, wasn't it? So this, this one obviously is going to take a little bit more getting used to. First issue um, was the, the casserole dish. Yes, the casserole yeah. dish. <laughs> Her damn casserole dish. This, yeah, what's this one called? More than kin and less than kind. This is, um, I think maybe they're doing kind of something similar to Hellblazer. So the first one was a setup issue, and then this one is called, sorry, it's called A Brother's Conscience, and this is part one. Of It's so, part one of five, Roddy. Yeah, so it's really interesting that one was the setup, and then this is part one. Uh, I was listening to... So we're talking about uh, That, oh, Texas, yes, sorry. that Texas Blood number 2 by uh, yes. Chris, Chris Condon and Jacob Phillips. Yes, we are, yeah. <laughs> well, I was building up to it. Come I know, on. you are, you are, you are. You are. <laughs> but yeah, sorry, go ahead, Keith. And whatever, I mean, I've... Uh, I was listening to uh, another podcast just to just to just to punt a, a podcast called uh, it's called Creator Creator Talks, mm-hmm. um, an American podcast, and they had uh, Chris Condon on, uh, and he was he's he's a younger guy than I was expecting actually, uh, and he was talking about his, his influences, you know, and the fact that you know it would be easy to make the assumption from the first issue that Joe Bob was going to be the main character, but apparently it's not the case. Apparently, it's not the case. It's going to be about, uh, you know, the, the people that are attached to your float in and out of Ambrose County, which is the, the fictional county in Texas that mm-hmm. that the first issue took place in. Yeah, um, something similar to, like, you know, David Lynch again. I love um, the last issue was permeated with, like, 
the very ending was so we're sort of talking like a neo-noir western in that Texas Texas blood but it's been the last issue the very last page was punctuated with this kind of unimaginable horror and this one there's sort of uh the main the main character in this one anyway is uh like Randy who wakes up and he sees his the dead body at the end of the last one was his brother Travis and he sort of wakes up and he sees a vision of Travis and he sort of he understands that something is horribly wrong and that's when he decides he has to go back to Ambrose County and figure out who, who killed his brother uh, with the help of Sheriff Joe Bob. What Joe a great Bob, name. yeah. <laughs> Joe it's, Bob. Uh, it's, it's really interesting though. It's uh, the... So as you say, he wakes up seeing seeing a vision of his his brother in the doorway, uh, and uh, you get the impression that you know he and his brother are estranged. Mm-hmm. Um, but they must have ripped it up together in Ambrose County before. Big style and, and done some done some some not good things. Uh, yeah. But but there, this is it's it's full of suggestion. It's full of suggestion. It's so it, you know he's talking to his his wife or girlfriend. You know, and they live in they live in what what looks like a lovely house, not in Texas. Um, and you know, he's like, "No, I have to go myself. You can't go with me. I understand. I understand if you don't forgive me." You know, so he's with this this woman, and he's not he doesn't want her to go with him. And you're like, "Why? What is?" And, and you know, he's disap- It's like he's disappearing to this. Uh, he describes it. He goes. He goes. You know, she says, "But I almost moved to Texas." I, you know, she. He's like Austin isn't texas that's this this is a whole nother country like this is a whole nother world uh and so it's full of it's full of suggestion there as to as to you know what what goes on in ambrose county or what you know these it's that it's that backwater place there's nearly yeah there's nearly like a i mean it's not the same thing but there's nearly a hills of eyes feeling it you oh know certainly that. i i kind yeah. of think um you kind of get. I I felt like there was an undertone of oh, it's just um, it's a really bad place. I've done really bad things there. But I, I'm kind of thinking, is there something a bit more, something a bit otherworldly? Like they could, they could certainly introduce it. But um, certainly, it has like a bleakness that reminds me of like you know a Cormac McCarthy novel, yeah. like Blood Blood Meridian or something, or No Country for Old Men. Yeah. yeah. There's some, and yeah. then it's just that that place holds so much. Um, mystique and power over them and whether it yeah, is yeah because and it's like a spiritual otherworldly thing or just because it is, it's it's yeah. texas you know it's and it's interesting because that's that idea of suggestion continues into the diner where <laughs> you know everybody recognizes travis whenever he whenever he comes home but he doesn't seem to recognize anybody else and you know in the diner then your woman comes out and and starts ranting at him, and he doesn't—he he doesn't have a clue who she is, you know. And then it becomes clear that he spent an awful lot of his time in a in a drug and drink adult haze, you know. And the things he did were maybe propelled or powered by that. Um, but yeah, oh, it was it was great. It was <laughs> I really I really enjoyed issue two. Really enjoyed issue. Yeah. This is this is some series, Alan. Are you reading it? Or oh, absolutely. It's uh, as soon as it's got any relation whatsoever to. You know, Sean Phillips, obviously with Jacob Phillips being his son and, you know, carrying on the, the family tradition of noir and just great storytelling. You know, we all jumped on this straight away. Uh, really popular in the store so far as well. 
Yeah, just just there's definitely more going on here than they're letting on, you know, early yeah. on. Um but to be able to base an entire first issue all around a sheriff trying to get a casserole dish and the the strange directions it all takes. Uh, you know, I mean, that was just great stuff. It was uh, the, that that podcast, that interview that uh, that Chris Condon conducted. Uh, he was asked, "What did he define neo noir as?" Mm-hmm. And he goes, "Well, if noir is bad things happening at night, he goes neo noir is bad things happening during the day." You know, and and that's very much, uh, it's very much, uh, you see that in the first and second issue because everything happens in, you know, in the daylight, apart from that one scene at the start where he ends in the second issue where he sees his his brother in the doorway, you know, Mm -hmm. premonating his death. Uh, Everything else happens in this bleached, sun-drenched daylight. You know, it's... uh, Class stuff, yeah. It's great, really. I, I always think is of neo noir. Obviously, I'm completely wrong, but <laughs> I always thought of neo noir as futuristic noir for some reason. I always thought of like, you know, Blade, Blade Runner or... and to a degree the Matrix and. Mm. Um, but then I've heard the likes of Drive being referred to as neo noir, and a lot of Drive takes place during the day as well. I suppose. Blade Runners, Blade Runners referred to as future noir. Yeah. So, there you are. Um, but yeah, no, yeah. That, that Texas Blood, yeah, we've got Second Prince of Issue 1 on the way. I uh, really do recommend jumping on this. You were saying this was of five so far. I I, I wonder the, if, is that going to be just the first arc and then we'll continue or? Yeah, uh, he, again, referring to that Creator Talks interview, um, Chris Condon was saying that, you know, he doesn't know how long it's going to go for while he get you know, twenty issues or thirty issues. Mm-hmm. He certainly, he certainly knows how it's. He says he knows how it's going to end, uh, but it just it's it's the it's the bits in between. You know, it's the so he say he had a start and an end. Uh, so yeah, you've got you've got as you say, it's the the first issue and then a five issue story arc and then obviously have something else planned. But you know, there there was some stuff that was sort of teased in the first issue, Roddy, regarding Joe Bob and maybe his brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some stuff there that 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 certainly needs fleshed out. Or yeah, well, like I suppose what he says is true. He's just gonna dive in and out of different uh, characters, maybe because maybe number three he'll just pick up with Joe Bob again. You never know. Mm-hmm. He's obviously a bit part player in this one. Yeah, it's it's. You know what it reminded me of was uh, was the Wire, the TV series where you sort of get to with best best tv series ever committed to celluloid like um really that's uh <laughs> yeah hands down yeah 100 yeah. percent. but but by the time you get to the end of the wire you realize that the main character is baltimore is the city yep. uh, oh, yeah and i wonder is the main character of this as as the the second the, the cover of the second issue sort of dictates you've got the the, the Travis standing in front of a sign that says "Welcome to Ambrose County." I wonder is the main character this this fictitious state of this fictitious county in Texas? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I think to a degree that's true of all certainly the best TV shows in that the main character tends to be the location. Because my personal favorite TV show is Twin Peaks, and it's uh, very much the location that is the main character of that show and. Everyone else just floats about it, so to speak. Yeah, so. the main character of that show is crazy. <laughs> Lynchian is the word you're looking for. <laughs> also, read crazy. Uh, yeah, cool. So that is that Texas Blood number two. So that was Roddy's fifth pick of the month. 
Going to finish off now with myself, uh, my final of my five picks, and then we will have an, an overall pick for the month. But I kind of get the feeling that my fifth pick for the month is also a universally agreed upon pick. This is a title I've been wanting to talk about for about three months. Uh, it's it's a unique position sometimes, only in a comic store, and that sometimes you get advanced preview copies of things and, you know, creators send them out to stores so that you can read them and then if you enjoy them you are in a position to push them to on to people so to speak but you're pushing it on to them because you think it's quality not just because it's the next big thing so to speak so what i'm going to be talking about now uh, is firepower so firepower is the new title from robert kirkman he of walking dead he of invincible he of die 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 he of pretty much great titles and of all creators in the comic industry, I'm not sure anybody loves the industry more, or loves the medium more, or loves to play with the industry more. You know, Kirkman is endlessly inventive with what he does, everything from how he releases stuff, uh, to even the variety of what he does release, because his stories are all very, very different. With Firepower, they decided what they were going to do. Now, it was slightly altered, you know, in the wake of, you know, coronavirus and so forth. The original plan was going to be, there was going to be a prelude graphic novel, which was released one week before Free Comic Book Day, which is always the first Saturday in May. Then on Free Comic Book Day, you were going to get essentially an issue zero, which was going to follow the Prelude graphic novel, and then it was going to start the week after with the proper number one. Now, while the, the sequence of events may not have happened quite like that, they still came out in that order. So a few months back, I got a copy, an advanced edition. I always love it when it says on the front, advanced edition, not for resale. Uh, like I would ever sell this book, I tell you. Uh, so Kirkman on writing duties, Chris Samley, who anyone who knows me knows that he's my favorite Daredevil artist, although Marco Cicchetto isn't running him close at the moment. Uh, I loved his run on Daredevil with Mark Wade, and then he was also the artist on Black Widow, on Captain America, uh, a few other bits and pieces. But Firepower, it starts off with this graphic novel, and it's about a character called Owen Johnson. So it starts off with him being on a journey to China. He wants to learn about his birth parents and it eventually leads him to this mysterious Shaolin temple. Uh, the students who are there, they all study to rediscover the firepower, which as anybody who has played Street Fighter knows is Ryu's signature move. Uh, Hadouken. Hadouken. You, you did it better than me. Uh, <laughs> but at this temple, they believe that the, the lost art of throwing fireballs is a part that they claim will be needed soon to save the world. So will Owen be the first person in over a thousand years to wield the firepower? So this book, it kicks off very much, it was almost a mishmash of things for me. It kicks off very Batman Begins-y uh, with this sort of expedition to find this temple along the way and to find meaning for life. Then when he's at the temple, it takes on a very Iron Fisty type uh, vibe. Uh, and then by the end of it, how the graphic novel ends was so surprising to me because... When you see the cover, the cover is like the best movie poster that hasn't been released. I just love the front cover of it. Uh, just really bright and colorful, but descriptive. Gives you an idea of the, the story. But it ends, not, not to jump to the end straight away, but it ends 15 years later. And that's where the, the single issue series is going to start. Because what was interesting about this graphic is, I mean, you could read this on its own and never read another thing and enjoy it. It's a fully contained story of what happens up there in the mountains. But I thought to myself, when I was halfway through reading it, I thought, how are they going to stretch this out to a continuing series? There's only so much that can happen up this mountain, so to speak. 
And then at the end of it, you just get this big two-page spread. Fifteen years later. Yeah, and it's and you're in the middle of the suburbs and you're thinking, whoa, this has taken quite the turn. But yeah, the whole way through this, I mean, you were talking a little bit earlier there, Roddy, about the power of silence in comics. And there's so many spreads in this that are either just great fighting sequences or great action sequences or even just sort of quite quiet meditative um, sequences as well where there's not, you know, loads and loads of dialogue. It's just very, very atmospheric and beautifully realized, beautifully drawn, beautifully colored. And the biggest compliment I can give it is that I don't think there's another indie book like it on the shelves at the moment uh, at all. Um, what about you guys? I mean, when, when I when I first got this, I, I made sure to spread it around you guys. I was just so excited to get other people's back on it. Uh, so I threw it to Keith first, and then I could pass on the Roddy. It has now finally made its way back to me. Uh, so it's definitely due a reread. But uh, what yeah. did you, you guys think? I I mean I I was, but even before you were kind enough to to pass on the preview copy, I was sold on this anyway. Uh, Robert Kirkman, Chris Samney, in what looks to be a martial arts thriller, job done. You know what I mean? Uh, it's it, it just uh, I mean I'm a huge fan of Iron Fist. I'm a martial artist myself, um, and I just you know although I don't, uh, as a practitioner, subscribe to. You know things like chi and 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 all of those secrets of, you know, martial arts, ancient powers and such. You know this is what this is all about, and it's all about that. You know this guy, this you know that's the the westerner that you know finds the 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 temple. It, it, it's very much it draws on a lot of different things. You know, you know, but it seems to go a different way. Um, it draws on Street Fighter. It draws on Iron Fist. It draws on uh, you know, Kung Fu, the legend continues. Um, all of those things, the the idea of the the sensei who you expect to be an old monk who's actually a you know, a baseball boot wearing baseball cap wearing, you know <laughs> Great character. Great you know, character. loves technology. The, there's so much going on, the mystery, the, the the two clans, there's there's something in there that's a wee bit pulpy and is also it's the stuff that, that Batman draws on for the legend the, the League of Shadows you know and uh, there's there's the same stuff that G.I. Joe draws on for uh, Storm Shadow and, and, and Snake Eyes it's all in there you know um, I just I loved it I loved all those they, they, and I loved the way I loved the format I love what they did releasing this this volume one prelude uh, you know as you say it's a self-contained story uh, you could you could read this and, and nothing else, but this absolutely this is hook in the mouth. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, you know we got him, boys. We yeah, got him. exactly. And I just uh, Kirkman, the way Kirkman, as you say, plays with the industry and manipulates it, and and to to just to to give people something interesting. You know that you know the the main story seems to end with with the one being the the holder of the fire power. You know and. You know, it ends in just desolation. You know, and then you get that fifteen years later, and he's standing at a gas barbecue in a in a garden with a, a slide and a, a football, and it's all just the opposite of exactly what it's just. But then there's just that wee moment where he he switches on the barbecue and he's trying to hit the pilot light and it won't go, and he just he just flicks his thumb and creates this flame. There's this, you know, and you're like, okay, he still got it. Fifteen years later, whatever it is, he still got it. You know, and. Uh, yeah, and uh, just that's so so good. I've read the uh, 
I've read now issue one, the free comic book day issue one, which was just another uh another great triumph of of, of Robert Kirkman. Do you know what? I'll give them a I'll give them a, an original graphic novel and people will buy that. And then you know the next thing I'll do is I'll I'll make the first issue free. <laughs> you know what I mean? So so uh just so good. So good. I need to get that uh, free comic book day one, have a look at it. Yeah, so when when's the first one out? The or the next first so issue? It's actually out now. So the um it's second so, issue. So far Oh really? So again, oh. just to continue on what Keith was saying there about how much Kirkman loves playing with the industry. Uh so the trade came out, then they sent us the free comic book day issue. Now what we did was we ordered big on the free comic book day issue and we held back maybe about fifteen of them. So now with the graphic, we will be including the free comic book day issue so that, you know, obviously wild stocks last, but we just thought oh, it'd be right. cool for anyone who jumps on the graphic can get the free comic book day issue as well. But then what they did two weeks ago was they released issue one and issue two on the same day. You know, so nice. so Kirkman just loves playing about with the sort of conventions of the comic industry and, you know, playing by his own rules to a degree. But it's all brilliantly told, and it's all for the benefit of the story. It's just like you enjoyed it, boom! Here you go. Here's two issues, you know yeah. that kind of thing. So, because I think I wasn't following it, and then I was. It must have been a couple of weeks ago. I was in the store and I was looking at the. It was on the racks, the graphic novel. I was like, yeah. it's a good price point as well. Um, but I was looking at it and I was like, have I read that? Like, have I jumped on that? I wasn't because I think the, is the cover different? It probably, probably the exact same. But yeah, I was like, have I read that? Am I missing out on this fire power? I was like, I don't really know. So I think I just confused myself. No, the cover, but, um, the cover's the same. The cover's the same. It just doesn't have the same advanced edition offer resale. <laughs> yeah, because it, it, it's been like month months since I read it as well. That was the very first. First stage of lockdown, wasn't it? Yeah, I think lockdown had only just Something pretty right much there. started and yeah. I'd received it. So obviously we were all, you know, sharing graphics with each other and sharing recommendations and so forth to keep us, you know, sane throughout it. And uh, I just made sure to throw it to you guys, you know, with within a good uh, time frame. But yeah, I'm loving it. I, I recommend it to everybody who walks through the door if they are looking something maybe a little different or they just want a cool indie title. You know, Kirkman to me is the very definition of a safe pair of hands. The the man doesn't know how to tell a bad story, and 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 again, I go back to the variety of his stuff because, you know, Walking Dead obviously is what it is. Everybody at this point knows what Walking Dead is, but then he has a superhero universe in Invincible, and then he has his love letter to eighties R-rated action movies and Die Die Die. But then he has this you know, Kung Fu epic with Chris Samney and then he has Oblivion Song, which is his hard sci-fi, you know, so he's he's a very versatile writer and creator and I don't think I've ever read anything bad from him, to be honest. So, uh, yeah, highly recommend this to everybody that walks through the doors, I say, and it's going to become another staple of the store. It will always be in the shelves uh, to be recommended. So, uh, yeah, so that was uh, Firepower, the original graphic novel prelude. And as we said there, so all issues are available on store now as well. So normally this would be where we conclude it for the month. But I don't think there has been an occasion in all the time that I've known these fine gentlemen that we have all single-handedly, unanimously agreed on a title as being the best of the week or best of the month. Uh, there's been a few times we've probably been close, you know, maybe two of us agreed or that kind of thing, but we didn't even need to say it out loud on this one. We all just knew once we had read it. 
so what we're going to do now is talk about our favorite title of July. This again is going to become another staple of the store. It's on the shelves at all times. Who would like to introduce it? What? Who? Who wants to throw the title out there? I guess. I guess it's uh, the other thing is it's just sold out on Amazon. But not sold out of Coffee and Heroes because uh, I ordered big on it. And Heroes. I ordered. What big. are we talking? <laughs> what are we talking about, Roddy? We are talking about Pulp by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips, and it's also coloured by Jacob Phillips, who we were talking about earlier. Yeah, I mean, Pulp for me, it's it's about dealing with your place in the world that is on the brink of war. Uh, it's set predominantly. It's set across two time frames, so it's set in nineteen thirty nine in New York and it's set on the eve of world war ii but at the same time the character we're following this old man who as you say writes these pulpy stories and is struggling to make ends meet he's telling these pulpy stories about a cowboy and you know the gunslingers of the old west and you know great train robberies and you know gunfights at the okay corral and stuff like that but what these people who he's selling these stories to don't realize is that He's basically selling them his autobiography in a fashion. This was the the life he used to live. And for me, it was a book all about how in one time period you can be a titan and in another, you know, you're, you're scraping to make ends meet. Uh, it, it reminded me very much of a line I recently watched. I, I can't believe I'm going to compare this to it, but I recently watched Sin City. And there was a part in it where the character Dwight was talking about Marv and he was saying, look at Marv, where he is now, people won't even look at him. In another era, they'd be throwing women at him, you know, in that Conan type era. You know, so it's it's a really interesting look at how, for me anyway, it was a really interesting look about how you can be a titan in one era, but sometimes the world can leave those type of men behind uh, or those type of women behind. And just ridiculously great. Uh, one sitting read enthralled from start to finish yeah absolutely <laughs> it was it was just i mean i i seem to i don't know what it is but i i seem to in the last bunch of years really have developed a love for for the western uh i, I just i don't know i don't know what it is i don't know if it's just if it's the landscapes or if it's the stories or uh if it's the just the idea of that um, I don't know, opening up a country and 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 living on the edge, or I don't I don't know what it is, but this this was right there. I I, I think and I think I've I've spoken to Alan about this. You know that you know you very often you th- I think we have trouble placing westerns in time. You know you think about westerns and you think about gangsters in American history, but you don't realize that there was a fair bit of crossover that those people who were the heroes or the, the, the players in those Westerns were probably still alive. And at, towards the end of their lives, whenever the gangsters were kicking about in the twenties, you know what I mean? It's not a, you know, the end of the, the end of that, those, those two things crossed over. And I think that, you know, the game red dead redemption kind of, you know, the red dead games kind of oh, yeah. push on that, yeah. you know, but this very much does, you know, where, where red was a, he was a, a hard drinking, hard fighting sort of guy. You see where he fell into the he fell into the the cowboy lifestyle, you know, and 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 all of that sort of stuff. And it just a bit all been told against the backdrop of of him being an old man, you know, when 
you know, and I guess in the it was in the thirties, nineteen thirties, you know, was as as Nazism has has taken hold, uh, you know, and it's just it really it really there's there's some there's some great lines. It's a bit it's a bit getting old, isn't it? Yeah, very much. Bit, you know, yeah, it's every about, line is a great line, and it, yeah, it really is. is fantastic. What what the what Brubaker and Phillips sort of have to say about like the human experience, and they've done it in all their other like every book seems to be about addiction in some form or other and not necessarily addiction to like substances, but there was certainly my heroes are junkies was a fantastic look at addiction. And this one's like leaving, leaving the, some sort of life behind and trying to find something new like this guy's doing and trying to find the good that uh, is in him that he maybe hasn't had for a long time. And uh, I think you're right. I think it's you know the, there's a, a line in it about about him not. Uh, what does he say? Uh, he he said my editor Mort was the kind of asshole who liked to give his freelancers hard truths. I'd never been good at listening to people like that. The ones who try to tell you uh, how the world works, like you're like they're so smart and you're some rude born yesterday. And the longer I lived, the more of them there seemed to be. Uh, that was one of the problems with getting older. You hit the edge where everybody either ignores you or treats you like you're some hassle they're being forced to deal with. And inside, you still feel like the same person you were 30 or 40 years ago. And you don't think of yourself as the man you see in the mirror. At least I didn't. Uh, you know, that, and that's, that really rang with me, you know. Yeah. It really rang with me because... You know, something that my dad said to me years ago. Uh, my dad's, uh, you know, my dad's in his late sixties now, uh, and at that time he was, he was in his his fifties. He just had a heart attack, and uh, he said, "The thing is, I don't, I don't feel any different than I did when I was seventeen. You know, I still feel like the same person, and you know, it's interesting because you know I'm in my early forties, you know, and." You know, I don't feel any different than I did when I was in my twenties. You know, so it's it's uh, it's a, kind of interesting. a few more aches and pains here and there, but yeah, by and large, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, and it's it's uh, it's really interesting because very shortly after after that speech, uh, Max, who's the main character here, steps in to whenever a Jewish guy has been hassled by by neo Nazis, he steps in and he tries to to act like he would have done whenever he was that cowboy, that Western hero or Western protagonist, certainly. He says, I've been in a lot, a, lot of, a lot of fights in my life, but the last time I took a punch was probably 1922, and it hurts a lot more than I remember. <laughs> Still, I think I could have survived the beating itself. It was the heart attack I had in the middle of it up that was a problem. You know, it's I can see it. I can just, it makes perfect sense. You know, it's uh, such a such a poignant, such a poignant book. You never... You never leave the person that you think you are behind, regardless of how many years time puts on you. Yeah, I mean, what's great about those two pages as well is, as you say, it's it shows that he's almost a man out of time, but he's the only one in those two pages that is wearing like the cowboy Stetson. And, you know, when he first says, leave the kid alone, he's standing there in that gunslinger pose, you know, hands by his side. You know, if you look like, you, the, obviously the rabbi's got a hat on, but that's obviously to do with the Jewish faith and so forth. But everyone uh-huh. else in the uh, the train station, no one else is wearing like that old-fashioned Stetson. 
and even just the the writing here is fantastic i mean i love how like he gets beaten up he has a heart attack and yet he's saying like and everyone just stood there and watched no one said a word no one helped you know it sort of showed how you know people certainly in this era were maybe a little more selfish didn't want to get involved were afraid of confrontation you know that kind of stuff um just just a wonderful wonderful book and it only gets stronger the more you go through it as well mm-hmm. you know? yep yeah i've left it out for a reread because that's <laughs> so good it's so and good i also like these two are just the auteurs of comic books just utterly sean phillips art is utterly gorgeous um jacob on the colors just phenomenal like adds this sort of like dreamlike quality to it and this real there's a real dreamlike quality to those flashbacks of it, there you know? there is and there's there's a there's a, a quality like that as well roddy whenever whenever max winter you know who used to be red hooks up with uh, jeremiah goldman mm-hmm. who who used to be one of the pinkertons the pinkertons were uh, as you probably know the precursor to the fbi uh but the pinkertons pursued the cowboys you know and the, the outlaws across the west in the late the late 1800s um so it's really interesting because these men obviously uh, jeremiah goldman has identified uh you know max max as the as the red rock kid you know the man who he pursued all those years ago along with his gang and time time has moved on for him as well he's no longer a pinkerton he's no longer you know time's left him behind too these two guys who were you know big men at the time you know uh, a, a big cop and a big outlaw you know, are left behind now. They're standing in this bar. Nobody knows who they are, who they were, and they they now have this their own reality around them. You know what I mean? They in that time, in that moment, those moments where they're together. He's still the Pinkerton, and he's still the outlaw. You know, they yeah. they, they still have that the power of youth about them because they reinforce each other's story. You know, it's uh, it's it's beautiful. Like it really is fantastic. Yeah. You know, from 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 the same author that uh, that brought us, uh, you know, not only all those wonderful, you know, image books that you you told us about, but also the Winter Soldier, which we talked about in at length in a previous podcast. And I understand his Daredevil runs quite good as well. Very, very good. Very, very. <laughs> yeah, I mean, these guys—they're just the epitome of a superstar collaborative team. You know, I've. I've enjoyed their work for years. I've I've tried to push their work for years, certainly with having the store. But even before I had the store, I mean, I used to recommend their stuff to friends, you know, Criminal, Fade Out, Fatal. And then more recently, my heroes have always been junkies. And then they have announced another new book, which is going to be coming out in November called Reckless, which is going to be another one to keep an eye out for. But yeah, I mean, I think you're right to a degree as well, where you say the sort of hankering for maybe a simpler way of life maybe that's what the cowboy life maybe you know sort of represents to us now you know it's all pre-technology it's all pre-social media it's all you know it's literally like your life is what is right in front of you as opposed to living it online and through you know various social media forms and so forth your 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 choices your choices have consequences yeah Uh, your actions have consequences uh that could be yeah i i don't know i don't know what it is um again we go back to that idea of you know lone wolves and, and that sort of romanticized idea of but but this is 
uh, there's more going on here, you know, just that 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 whole idea about edging and uh, it's just it's class. It really, it really, it really appealed to me. I don't know if it's time of life or things I'm interested in or just fantastic writing or, but it just was, uh, yeah, just amazing, amazing. It was stunning. As yeah, yeah, I agree with you because it felt like. Do you know when something just comes along and you're it just feels like you're waiting for it mm-hmm. and there it was that's that's what it felt like for me you know like lockdown was pretty tough and then it ended pretty badly for me and then yeah i read this book and i was like jesus <laughs> just blew yeah. absolutely blew me away <laughs> yeah Fantastic. yeah yeah absolutely and just it, it it encapsulated like a lot of the things that i was i was thinking about at the time when i read it and yeah just mm-hmm. reinforced a lot of things so Definitely, just one of one of the most stunning things I've read in a long time. Yeah, big style, big style. Yeah, it's one of those ones that you know, if if anybody now walks into the store and says, "I'm interested in getting into comics, no idea where to start, what should I begin with?" This is the kind of thing I would hand them. You know, it's uh, yep. it's standalone. It's brilliantly written. It's beautiful to look at. It's not too long to be off-putting. You know, the way maybe a twelve-issue maxi series. In graphic novel form might be it's not so short that you feel you're not getting you know a proper story to me it's like the the comic equivalent of a novella that's exactly oh, what I was, yeah yeah you know yeah. it's it's just tightly paced brilliantly written not a wasted page but still great characterization and you know it's it's not something that's going to take you five hours to read but it's also not something you're going to read in like when you've got a spare five ten minutes and it just draws you in i mean this this was the definition of a one sitting read you know and i really can't speak highly enough about it. i mean when i read it i was really excited for you guys to then read it because we'd obviously recommended it months ago on the previews podcast and again just on the strength of the concept and the creative team but Again, it's 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 a pretty special thing that for people who have been reading comics as long as we have and sort of recognize all the tropes and you know all the rest, it's sort of all unanimously come together and say this was something very special. I think is is the biggest compliment and testament I can give to the quality of it. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm totally on your side as well, Keith. It's sitting beside the bed for me as well uh, for a second reread. Is so. Um, I have a feeling that's going to be a book club sometime in the future when we yeah, can really so. dig into it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Great. So, yeah, just to reiterate the point, though, Amazon may be sold out. Coffee and Heroes is not, because I ordered massive <laughs> on this. I have spare copies upstairs Good. and everything. And uh, and the title of the book is Pulp, and that's Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. And brought to you by Image Comics, a beautiful hardcover as well. Just even the way it's presented is just quality as well, so... Uh, yeah, I, as Keith said earlier, it's uh, a very early contender for book of the year. Uh, certainly original graphic of the year anyway. Um, so yeah, so that is going to do it for us in terms of our review of July. Uh, so pretty much all of these titles we should be able to source for you in store if anything has piqued your interest. Uh, just always pop in and we'll we'll get you sorted or drop us a message of course as well. Uh, I hope you guys have enjoyed this podcast. It's it's been a pleasure always sitting down with these guys and chatting away. And to reach ninety nine, I don't think is to be sniffed at. Uh, and we've a few few wee changes coming for number one hundred that we've been holding back on. So excited to share some those. some some schemes and plans. Yeah, you know, plans of mice and very exciting. Offers. 
<laughs> so that's so would you say it's going to be a bumper uh, special edition number 100 it's going to have at least five variants there's going to be foil yeah. covers there's uh there's going to be all sorts but yeah we're <laughs> we're, we're really looking forward to episode 100 where we're trying to pull a few things together and uh we're looking forward to sharing them with you so this is going to do it for us in terms of double digits so next time gentlemen triple digits Oh, imagine, imagine, <laughs> bagged and boarded for your pleasure. <laughs> I, I can't follow that up with anything, so uh, I'm going to leave it there. Uh, so yeah, pleasure as always, guys. Hopefully uh, I will see you in store soon. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. Feel free to share it with as many people as you like if you did. Uh, I've been Alan, been joined by Keith and Roddy. Look forward to seeing you again. Bye-bye. Keep on winging it. Mm-hmm.